Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. and actually walk the talk. So, Kennedy, it is free speech. And as you're hearing Emily say, is it wise free speech when it has a tone of hypocrisy to it? No, I mean, hypocrisy and free speech are are two different things. We have to protect even abhorrent, simplistic, overly busy, unreadable free speech, as unpopular as it might be. And uh, Mm -hmm. back to Brian Stelter. Uh, I'm going to steal a line from Stephen Miller. Tater's going to tater. And he (laughs) might be the most unsophisticated (laughs) analyst in the history of media analysis. Uh, He's he's not just ham-fisted. He's ham-headed. It's a miracle. Wow. We've had taters, bologna, and mayo on the show. Jillian, I come to you to put a bow on it. I'm hungry. (laughs) I know. For me, it is anyway. I don't know what there really is to say about the cartoon and about the coverage of the cartoon. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 24th of December, Christmas Eve Day 2020. Why am I podcasting? Oh, I don't know. I had enough stuff and it it's 3 o'clock in the morning. So, puppy decided to get up early. It was my day. And so, the wife woke up. I said, why don't you go ahead and podcast? I'm going to sleep some more. So I'm in the basement. It is butt cold in Tennessee. We didn't get any snow. We were supposed to get snow showers. But we didn't, as usual. The moisture always flows out when the cold air gets here. But, you know, our high today was this morning, and it will be cold all day. And tomorrow for Christmas, high is 26 degrees. I can't remember the last time we had a Christmas at 26 Usually you got to put the AC on so you can cook. So, we'll take it. It won't be a white Christmas, but it'll be a cold one. That intro is kind of the reason why I'm podcast. I got so much stuff. So much stupidity from COVID stimulus to COVID vaccine to a little bit of woke to Warnock to... Just media ridiculousness. And I had to play that because that is like a, once again, a thesis for my doctorate. Because, you know, with Dr. Biden, we're all doctors. I'm going to be a doctor in media bias. But unlike Brian Seltzer, I'll call both sides and he won't. And when Kennedy says that to you, you got some issues, buckaroo bonsai. You got some issues, but that's our media. You know, we're not going to get anything out of that idiot. He literally tweeted that A plus headline, Fox News complains about media being mean to conservatives and compares CNN host to a potato. Jeremy Barr, Brian Seltzer doesn't need defending, but I'm surprised that Fox News leader put up with this schoolyard bullying. You call people Nazis. You call people Nazis on the right. 
I don't think a potato is worse than a Nazi. That's just me. Maybe I'm wrong. Then we got this knuckle buckle. Julian, Julie Wolf, an open letter to journalists at the end of the toughest years of our careers. It's a great way to start the show, but we gotta have piano music. Piano music! Oh, we went with violins. And scene. Dear 2020 journalist, you are stronger than you know. If I had told you in January you'd produce from home, track from the closet, master Zoom, an anchor from your living room this year, you would have laughed and then cried. But here you are, focusing on the facts, seeking truth, sharing stories, especially ones that make liberals look good. Oh, wait a minute. I added that in. Wearing your mask. Bath and hand sanitizer. Doing your job. A job that some people hate you for. They were loud in 2020, but you were strong. You were strong enough to battle the isolation, the fear, the unknown. Strong enough to ask tough, soul-searching questions. Except to Biden. Wait a minute, I added that in. Not just in our interviews, but in our newsrooms. Strong enough to ask for help. Because we all needed it in 2020. If you're a journalist at the end of 2020... You are strong. Stay strong. Because what you do matters. 2020 proved it. And scene. Are you fucking shitting me, Batman? I mean, get the fuck out of here! Biden's the first question, first president that never got a question about his policies. It was about Trump's policies. Catherine Havilia, another wonderful note. You do matter. Fusilasi Spock, good Lord, what a bunch of weak-ass losers our media are. Everyone had a hard year. Everyone wore masks and washed their hands. Everyone battled isolation and fear. What the hell makes think your lives were somehow harder than everybody else? Then they show people with fucking chap faces from wearing protective gear. And then they show them soldiers. Then they show them closed business. Then they show farmers and coal miners. No, nothing you did this year was that important. Not a fucking thing you did. Because your president, the one you were working for as a communication arm of the DNC, well, this was him this week. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yes, yes, yes. God love you, man. You, you're a one-horse pony. I tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I promise you, my Justice Department will be totally on its own making its judgments about how they should proceed. Thank you. What in the actual fuck does that mean? What does that mean? I, I don't know what it means. I mean, this is the guy who is always being quoted as saying, as this article states, Joe Biden says he's not going to villainize his opposition. You have a different team in town, Joe Biden says. I'm not going to villainize the opposition. You, you, you just did. You just did. And, and let's let's let, let's break it down. What in the actual fuck is a one-trick pony? Does anybody know what a one-trick pony is? I don't know what a one-trick pony is. We have tore apart everything George W. Bush ever said. If he misspoke, you knew about it. Years after he left office, boys and girls, on this very podcast, we pulled out stories from NBC News literally dogging dogging the way Bush talked. So replies to the one-trick pony, Guy Benson, there's zero evidence it's Russian disinformation. This is an embarrassing, baseless answer to a fully legitimate question. There's an active DOG investigation dating back years. Also, he butchers the one-trick pony insult, and Peter shouldn't be the only person asking this. Biden laughs, an unscheduled question about Hunter. Fox News is never called on by Biden's staff to run the questions. Biden always just laughs. And it goes on and on. People actually start to say things that they should be saying. Like, do you hate the free press? But the best part about it, where are these so important people that had such a tough 2020 had to write freaking poems about how awesome their lives are? How hard they had it. Not so hard being us. We have the hardest job ever. Why aren't, why isn't Tater going, hey, why are you attacking the free press? Oh, I know why. Because they always can do that. I mean, Obama could fucking wiretap motherfuckers. Nobody cared. CNN was not up in the air about Barack Hussein Obama Literally wiretapping and spying on people from Fox. Because why would he? Those are bad people. They're not real journalists. Not like us that work for the DNC. Those journalists are just fucking props for Trump. And while this was being, you know, played out, we have this race hustler coming on TV and saying something 
that blew my mind. So I'm going to play two sound bites. I'm going to play a sound bite of Nashville. It is Harvey's store. It was a huge attraction. They had a gigantic nativity. It was like really big. It was on a local show on PBS. People hearkening back to the day when things were a little more simpler. And then you got this race hustler on MSDNC. And now, a program segment from the NPT production of Memories of Nashville. Now back then, downtown, much as it is today, was the center of business. It was also a prosperous time for shopping, retailers, restaurants, (laughs) and the place for entertainment. When you went downtown, much like when you flew on an airplane, you dressed up. You did not go in your jeans. Well, I don't think people had jeans back then, but you you put on your gloves and your little hats if you had them, the, the nice Sunday clothes, your heels and your hose if you were old enough, or your little socks and your velvet shoes if you weren't, and you went downtown and you you looked nice. And, and, it, and the men looked nice. Everybody downtown looked nice. You dressed up. It was an event because if you were coming from the neighborhoods, I mean, it was a bit of a drive. So, and you would spend the whole day shopping till you dropped. If you were going to shop, you went to downtown. The department stores down there were Harvey's and Cane uh, uh, Sloan, Castanot were the three large ones. We'd ride the bus downtown and, and we'd get off and we'd walk down to, depending on what we were going to buy, it was just where you went to, to get clothes. There were restaurants downtown and, and there were movies downtown. It was the center of commerce. Uh, it was the center of government as it is now. People loved to go downtown. Downtown was sort of the center of, of commercial life. So that's my father's restaurant was downtown. So on Saturday, even young girls would put on their dresses and their gloves and go downtown and have lunch, go to the movies. Travel in Nashville, I'd say for most African Americans, into downtown Nashville was again a time when you put your best foot forward. So you would dress to go downtown and shop. You would see very well-dressed people. We lived in the Hermitage Hotel uh, because the restaurant was on 6th Avenue uh, right down the street, and it was great fun. We would, my brother and I would run across the street and play in the park and run around the streets, go to the movies, have a good time. Well, the restaurant was called Cross Keys. When I was a child, I would catch the city bus after school frequently and go downtown to see my father and to go to the movies and go to see the merry-go-round at Harvey's and to to mess around and that was all a part of your playground so to speak. My mother would take me downtown and we'd go shopping. I'd want to go to Candyland. That was where all the kids wanted to go because you walked in to the front door and you went past all this wonderful hand-dipped chocolate that they would serve and that chocolate smell would hit you the minute you walked in the door. You'd go back and sit in these wonderful little like teak wood, dark wood uh, uh, booths and you could order a chocolate milkshake or get you a nice uh, uh, grilled cheese sandwich or whatever kind of sandwich you might want to have, potato chips or whatever it was. I mean it was more something that a kid would want to do. You went downtown though? Uh, in time for Easter and Christmas and back to school shopping. Uh, Shopping for clothes has never necessarily been one of my more fun things to do, but if you could get the other things going like the the trip to Candyland, it was was worth doing. So we would uh, always look forward to the chance to go down and do that and 
and see the other things. And downtown was always a, a bustling place. It was always, particularly at Christmas time, it would always be crowded uh, with people because it was one of the main shopping places. It was a tradition to shop at Kane's Loans. I mean, they were old Nashville. Their, their store was attractive and uh, the owners were the floor walkers, so it, it, uh, it, it gave you sort of a warm and fuzzy feeling, but nothing like a visit to Harvey's. I mean, you walked into Harvey's, I mean, you, you, were, in for a, you were in for a happening. Harvey's was definitely a happening. It was not only a department store, it was a place where anything could happen. With its signature carousel horses and real monkeys at the monkey bar, or at times, even an entire circus marching through the store. <laughs> you never knew what to expect at Harvey's. It was the first place in town to have escalators. And of course, you know, when you were a kid, you just thought that was neat to be able to ride up and down. You, you'd want to go shopping just to ride up and down the escalators. Fred Harvey was uh, an entrepreneur, innovator. And he came to Nashville with the idea of <clears throat> creating a store that would be different to ride the escalators and to see the uh, figures from the carousels and to see a clown sort of strutting around and, and to see Fred Harvey himself sort of shuffling in his bedroom slippers from floor to floor was terrific. My great aunt and my grandmother, who were sisters, both were buyers for Harvey's department store downtown. I spent numerous hours playing at Harvey's I remember the carousel horses. Uh, there was a lot to do if you were spending the day there just for fun. You could go ride the carousel, and you could go to the monkey bar, and you could look at all the different things in the toy department. So there was a lot to hold your interest as a child. It seemed more fun than Toys R Us probably is now because it was more magical. The, the dolls and the, the doll boxes piled high and the little trains and the and the displays, and of course, everything that was advertised on TV, he had, it was there. Harvey's would have it, because Harvey's had it. But I remember the toy department being, as a child, you know, taller than tall and bigger than big, and, and Barbies and everything a little girl or a little boy could ever really want. Harvey's always had that cachet about it. You always knew that Harvey's has it, and you always knew that Harvey's was a store that never knew completion. Fred Harvey had the carousel, which was wonderful, and was run by Max, who had been a prisoner, a prisoner of war in a concentration camp in Germany. And he had a tattoo. He had really survived quite a bit, and he was the sweetest person. And the monkey bar, of course, was just something no one today can believe. I'm sure the health department would just have a stroke. But there were monkeys in a cage, and where you ate. And the monkeys jumped around and looked at the funny people, I guess. Well, Harvey's had a wonderful bakery, and they were famous for their apple pie. I remember Fred Harvey uh, specifically taking me around and letting me sort of pick out what I wanted to eat from the, the pastry department, and uh, he, he was just a sweet person. I, I really, of course, I was a little girl, you know, he liked to, you know, walk around with me and, and look at different things. Mr. Harvey Sr., as he was referred to, was, was very nice. My grandfather, for many years, was head of the rug department at Kastner's, so I had ambivalent feelings about uh, buying anything from Fred Harvey, but I, but I did. And I bought a lot of apple pie from Fred, Fred Harvey. Mr. Harvey, he had uh, trained at Marshall Fields and, uh, and was an aggressive, good retailer and uh, uh, did things like putting the, the uh, 
the merry-go-round horses in there's decorations inside the store and he opened up a monkey bar where you had live monkeys in a, in a cage. I don't think it lasted very long but it was there and I think the problem was that monkeys are filthy and it didn't sort of work you know it really didn't work. I can't remember how long it was there but I remember everybody wanted to go in and see it and it was novel, different, and Fred was novel and different. He was a real entrepreneur. The pandemic obviously is the thing that was the hallmark of 2020. There was so much mourning, so much loss, so much um, sadness in this country. And there was a presidency um, that really failed to meet the moment in, in ways objectively speaking, because the president downplayed the virus. He didn't take it seriously. Um, it's large part based on my reporting why he lost the election. I think you couple the pandemic's terrible loss with, with the political upheaval. And I also want to point out the statistic that I think continues to stick with me, which is that African Americans are more than two and a half times, three times more likely to die than white Americans of the coronavirus pandemic in the same year that African Americans are some two and a half times to three times more likely to be killed by the police than white Americans. So this was also a year where the pandemic exposed the longstanding inequalities in this country. And it showed that African Americans and people of color continue to not be treated as equal citizens in this country. So I think that that is the thing that sticks with me. It's those dual crises of health care and economy, as well as the racial right. reckoning that continues to happen. Yeah, it was an MRI for that for us. The question is, um, after we see this MRI, do we do something about it? That's going to be a test. Rich Lowry, what say you about what 2020 looks like, say, 20 years from now? What is it that's going on in this country now? What is it that's so terrifying? for white people and that's what this is about that people of color are are threatening them so deeply that they are willing to dismiss democratic tenants and and i i'm just repeating what i said earlier mm. because i have no other explanation joe there's there's nothing else there we could sit yeah. room, you could put the 10 smartest scholars in a room that's it it's it, it's i'm saying that you know the quiet part out loud there's no other explanation and that's what we have to deal with this country right now we are we are a divided country and it's about race i don't care what anybody else says you mean you've been covering the president uh, for the better part of five years. What's your take on Donnie's theory? I think Donnie's theory is a solid one because I've been talking to so many Trump supporters over the last few years. And I have to tell you, even when I talk to them about policies, about foreign policy or about China, a lot of times the Trump supporters that I talk to, they turn the issue back to race. Now, maybe it's because they're being interviewed by someone who's African-American, but I can remember one of my first hints that this was going to be a running theme of the Trump administration was being in Wisconsin, talking to a man, trying to explain to him about health care and talking to him about why he supported the the president's health care plan and he kept on saying well people think i'm racist people think i'm racist and i finally said well sir even though i'm talking to you about health care why do people think you're racist and he said well look at you you're a black girl how could you get a job at the new york times and i i'm, I'm really concerned about all the african-american people moving into my town at the at that time his town was 97 percent white when you fast forward i'm thinking about another young another person i'm talking to um who was talking to me about the fact that he was really concerned about uh, the kind of the the 
the way the focus of the nation was going. I asked him again, well, what are you really concerned about? He started talking about Antifa, talking about African-Americans taking over his, 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 his town, Mexicans coming for him. He was living in a gated community in Florida, worried about um, African-Americans and Latinos coming into his neighborhood when that, that community, again, was some 97 to 98% white. There is this real elephant in the room, even when you're talking about policy, that Trump supporters, the ones that I've interacted with, not all of them, but a large majority of them do bring up the issue of race. They do bring up their fears of the unknown of, of African-Americans, of Latinos, of this kind of browning of America. That, that is just something that has been, that needs to be covered, that needs to be said out loud. And I keep thinking about that man in Wisconsin who looked at me and said, how could you possibly have a job and make more money than me? And I said, well, sir, my parents went to college. I went to college. That's part of how I earned this job. But he didn't want to hear it. And he didn't want to talk about health care, even though that's what I wanted to talk to him about. He wanted to talk about the fact that he was worried that a black girl like me was a threat to his future. Wow. Um, let's let that sit for a second there. That's incredible. Now, I want to pause for a second. I know it was a long soundbite, but I watched the show Memory of Nashville. And before we go back to literally the, the subject, which is, you know, we're going to blow everything off with two great sound bites. You know, the, the, the liberals have this thing and the left, you know, just loves doing it. What they do is they take things like Christianity and they make it evil because they don't concur with that. You know, BLM doesn't even want a family. So, of course, we're going to shit on Christmas. Thanksgiving. Genocide Day. But every time somebody looks back and reminisces on Days on Your, it's always some race hustler on TV or some really lily white fucking I hate myself because I'm white pundit. We don't want the browning of America. Well, let's look at something first. That's not grounded on math because America's still over 70% white. Even when you add the illegals, it's a majority country of white. Most every country except for African countries are majority country white. So nobody's worried about browning. Those days of Democrats doing Jim Crow laws and lunch counter shit are over. That was the Democrats, you jackasses, who formed the KKK and went on a lynching spree in the South. Not Republicans. Republicans freed the slaves! Get a goddamn history book! But they always say it, because the fact of the matter is... They don't like the past. They had a terrible childhood. Their mommy didn't love them. I don't fucking know what their problem is, but they shit on every tradition. So in the name of progress, this beautiful Nashville thing that I know nothing about because I wasn't fucking here. It's a parking lot now. Doesn't exist. Nobody carried on the beautiful nativity that black people, gay people that were on this show, well, they appeared gay. They all went to. They loved it. It was an attraction. No, they didn't have a problem with it. It was a family thing. They enjoyed it. 
And it just struck me that most of us look back to a time pre-internet, pre-cancel culture, and go, goddamn, things were better. I don't think there's a, a, a thinking adult who doesn't think Facebook, Twitter, and the internet has made us a horrible fucking garbage fire of a country. Because we can't stop politicking. There will be people, people shitting all over tomorrow. D.C. calls today Falky Day, the day the birth of Jesus Christ. Falky Day. Christmas Eve. No, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to have Falky Day. Falky. Because they shit on everything. Because they don't like it. If it's traditional, if it's family-oriented, they shit on it. That's why you can't get a Christmas show that isn't John Legend and a bunch of gay people. That's why you, I mean, every fucking thing they touch, they destroy because they hate everything. They hate every tradition. They hate religion. They hate America. So for politics, they will make everything about intersectionality. I don't want to go back to the 50s with people coming in back doors. I never lived like that. I was, well, I wasn't alive, but I lived in the North. But I would like to go back to a time where we paused for holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas and didn't shit on it. I would love to go back to a time when a person could say something on Facebook that wasn't bad. It's not like you're calling somebody a faggot or the N-word or whatever. But you put out an opinion and you don't lose your job. I would love to turn on a TV show and some cartoons that tell kids to be nice. Regardless of what the person looks like. See, my generation, we were raised on Jesus loves us, this I know. For the Bible, I don't know the song anymore. Before the Bible tells me so, yellow, red, and black, they are equal. I don't remember the words either, but it was a nice song about, you just like people. Because when you really break it down, kids already go in a sandbox and they don't give a fuck if you're black. If you're a kid with ponytails, they don't fucking care. Which, by the way, my grandson was on Facebook, my wife told me, with makeup and ponytails. Because my daughter's turning him into a girl because, hey, I need more Facebook love. He's not a girl. He talked to me about girls. He likes them. Go figure. But the point of the matter is the kids don't give a fuck. The kids play with whatever kid's there. But we don't even have that because the Cartoon Network's one big LGBT platform. Barbie's telling you you got white supremacy and white guilt. Barbie. We played it on the show. So yeah, a lot of us would love to go back to a simpler time pre-internet where people treated each other on the content of their character. We were all prejudiced against assholes. And assholes are gay, trans, black, Chinese, Pacific Islander, all the things that seem to be the only thing that's important for people to become part of Biden's cabinet. 
when intersectionality wasn't a thing. Because the reality is, as much as you want to sit and talk and say Fox News is brainwashing Americans and Trump's brainwashing Americans and all you racist fucking hayseeds, Christians are the reason why everything is bad in the world. Intersectionality has brainwashed an entire state. If you didn't watch Tucker, look it up today. I'm not going to play it. It's too long. He just did a symposium on California. California is America if we let intersectionality take over. It's a religion. They got a scorecard, as I talked about. They have Psalms. They have Proverbs. It has replaced religion for the left. But it's more destructive than anything Christianity has done in the last two centuries, folks. Barack Obama could go back to the Crusades. What's happened since? Shut your fucking mouth. Nothing. Islam's blown a lot of shit up. Christians haven't. But you're brainwashed. If you believe all this intersectionality shit, you're part of the cult. And the cult has destroyed California. People are, 150,000 people have left California that they know of. New York City is fucked. People are fleeing there. Because those are places where we don't apply the law. We don't do anything. We do it on intersectionality. And intersectionality is born in the colleges. It's taken over, inter- it's taken over the internet. And we're all here. So I guarantee if you did a real survey of a lot of people going, can I go back to 2000, 2000? We'd all jump in the fucking time machine. Because it wasn't this stupid. So while Biden was one trick pony dog and horse or whatever the fuck he said, Brian Seltzer compares... Trump supporters to fucking ISIS and Nicole Wallace questions Biden saying Russia's a threat? Involving one of its most popular podcasts. Is the paper getting off too easy after this scandal? Plus, Washington Post executive editor Marty Barron. He's with me to talk about the post expansion around the world. We're also going to do a post-mortem of the Trump presidency. Uh, Many great guests coming up in the next few minutes. But first... The best word for what's happening in America right now is radicalization. That's what it is. That's what this hyped up right wing media machine is doing. That's why it feels harder to talk about politics with other people. Harder to speak a common language about right and wrong. Harder to meet in the proverbial middle. Because some news junkies, some relatives, some neighbors are being radicalized. When Trump lifers are calling for troops in the streets because they lost an election, that's radicalization. When they start speculating about breaking off and creating their own country, that is radicalization. All of this election denialism talk is radical, and yet it is infesting the airways. It's everywhere in the pro-Trump media. When a former Houston police captain points a gun at an ordinary air conditioner repairman because he believes the repairman is the mastermind behind a voter fraud scandal, that is evidence of radicalization having real-life consequences. These conspiracy theories spreading all around, millions of Americans clinging to conspiracy theories, this is all evidence of radicalization. And that's not 
easy to say. It's not an easy word to use. But it's way past time to talk about this honestly. No one should tiptoe past this predicament. Disinformation networks like QAnon are causing people to lose touch with reality. This professor told CNN that QAnon believers can get radicalized very quickly, sometimes in a matter of weeks. There's that word, radicalized. In other cases, this process is much more gradual. I mean, this right-wing rabbit hole problem. But it's all over the place. I mean, numerous sources at Fox News have said to me that they are worried about what the channel's most popular, most incendiary shows are doing. One longtime on-air staffer at Fox recently said to me, quote, Our audience has absolutely been radicalized by the programming on the air, from Fox and Friends in the morning to Laura Ingram's show at night. And if Fox is not radical enough for those viewers... What do they do? They go to Newsmax instead. They go to One America News. And then if those channels aren't enough, well, you just call on to Facebook, you log on to your web browser, there are live streaming networks full of the most inane election conspiracy theories you can imagine. But they're right there. They're all over the place online, on radio, and on TV. Now, are all the radicals on the right? Of course not. Do some liberals have radical ideas? Of course Radical thought is nothing new in America. But radicalization is specific because it is a process. A process with a dangerous edge. A process that takes hold when people feel alienated, when they lack social trust, when they are vulnerable to the rage and resentment of talk show hosts who promote fear and anger and offer solutions, crazy solutions. As Michael Flynn did the other day, talking about martial law. Flynn made it to the Oval Office on Friday and we'll get into that in a few minutes. This is a process, radicalization, that often comes up in coverage of terrorism. That's usually the context you hear that word. We ask, how did ISIS members become radicalized? How did the shooters in El Paso or Orlando or Las Vegas become radicalized? The answer very often is the Internet, the digital land of make-believe. The same pipeline that helps my children learn, helps you connect with your loved ones, also poisons some adults and distorts their reality. The body of research about radicalization is very clear. The internet creates more space for extremism, and the echo chamber effect accelerates the process. QAnon is one really clear recent example, but so is Stop the Steal, and so are some corners of the anti-vaccination movement. Reporters see what's going on. They are seeing signs of this radicalization in American politics, and some are calling it like it is. Let me give credit to this new report from NPR, saying that domestic terrorism analysts are raising concerns, saying all the conspiracy stuff out there, all the disinformation led by President Trump is amounting to a mass radicalization of some Americans. One of the, the people quoted, one of the experts quoted in that story, is Elizabeth Newman, and she is joining me now. She's a former Assistant Secretary of Homeland Security under President Trump. Uh, also with me is Rosie Gray, senior reporter for BuzzFeed News, who's been writing about this. She wrote this. The cyber attack believed to have been carried out by Russia that appears to have penetrated the highest levels of the U.S. government. Biden offered the strongest condemnation yet for that cyber attack, blasting Trump's handling of it and making clear that the attack will not go unanswered. Initial indications, including from Secretary Pompeo, Secretary of State and Attorney General William Barr suggest that Russia, Russia, is responsible for this breach. It certainly fits Russia's long history of reckless, disruptive cyber activities. But the Trump administration needs to make an official attribution. This assault happened on Donald Trump's watch when he wasn't watching. 
It's still his responsibility as president to, to defend American interests for the next four weeks. But rest assured that even if he does not take it seriously, I will. NBC News is reporting on Biden's plans to hold Putin accountable. Quote, Biden has no plans to try to forge a close relationship with Putin, as Trump attempted. Instead, Biden is expected to quickly work to draw contrast with Trump's handling of Russia, including renewed scrutiny of reports of bounties offered to extremists in Afghanistan to kill U.S. troops. Biden is also likely to slap new sanctions on Russia for election meddling and human rights violations, although it's unclear how much further he can turn the screw, given that Moscow is already under intense U.S. sanctions that have isolated it from the American financial system. Joe Biden taking up the mantle as the current occupant of the White House has all but abdicated leadership in the face of crisis. If you open up the, the paper and Paris or Abu Dhabi tomorrow, you're going to see a rebuke of Vladimir Putin, a threat of getting tougher and, and having a, a consequence for the hack, not from the sitting president, but from the incoming president. And, and I wonder if you think that that um, sort of re realigns things or, or exposes us more. Or, you know, how, how does that land, Jim Rubenberg? I mean, it's definitely a treacherous moment because the person making the statement today is not the one who's in power right now. So uh, it just breeds confusion internationally. And then you wonder, where's the party going to come down? Because of the Biden's rhetoric today is traditionally often Republican rhetoric. Uh, Mitt Romney's the one who in 2012 said that uh, Russia was a primary foe, uh, as Democrats and President Obama at the time derided him for saying that. So it's sort of like this, this kind of 52-card pickup game right now where everything's kind of thrown up in the air. Thankfully, there are four weeks left uh, of this this moment, and then – Presumably, uh, things can resort to some version of normalcy, but I'll never make that prediction in this era. ISIS? Have you antiphoned much? I love when they do this. Because if anybody's ISIS, it's the left with their constant pillage and burn brown shirts in the streets that are still fucking up Portland and their constant destruction of everything on the internet. And we spent four years saying Donald Trump was a Russian agent after paying $30 million to find out he wasn't a Russian agent and it was all a lie. And that's what they say. And oh, don't forget, Chuck Todd, the chief, I mean, he's a political director of the National Broadcasting Center. We need truth and reconciliation. You know, Yamish, what kind of appetite do you think the Biden administration is going to have? You know, I talked about a COVID commission. I think that's I think that's likely to happen, something like that. But I noticed the New York Times today called for something. They didn't call it this, but it almost felt like a truth and reconciliation commission. Is that something that our current politics could allow, allow to happen? I think because of this thing that um, pr pr former President Obama called truth decay, it's very hard to have a truth and reconciliation commission when uh, Americans can't agree on the truth. Hallie Jackson's talking about, um, Kellyanne Conway ta talking to you about alternative facts. I remember being on Meet the Press when Rudy Giuliani told you truth isn't truth. It is the thing that defined the Trump administration and this era, that there is, they wanted to completely create a new version of the truth, and so many Americans, more than 75 million of them, went along with that for President Trump. I'm not sure if we can get to a place where Americans can sit down and say, let's talk about what right. our difference is when we can't even agree on the facts. 
That is so fucking scary. The simple concept that we're going to go back after every presidency and rewrite history because you didn't like that president. Everybody can play this game, Chuck Todd. I mean, if we had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission after Obama, we'd find out he literally put a bunch of money on a plane and it was illegal as fuck because, oh, by the way, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. You can't. And then, this week, as we're going through all this shit, we have Warnock. Raphael Warnock is a highly political preacher who's now running for Senate in the state of Georgia in one of the two races that will determine who controls the federal government. That race is two weeks from now, on January 5th. So it's a little late in the game to be getting the footage we're about to show you exclusively. This is footage of Raphael Warnock's wife. Fox News senior correspondent Rick Leventhal has the story for us tonight. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tucker. This is never-before-seen video with Tucker Carlson tonight exclusive. Georgia Democratic Senator candidate Raphael Warnock accused by his now ex-wife, Ule, of running over her foot. Here is the police body cam footage as the officer responds to the scene. I want to file a report. Mm-hmm. Ule Warnock told an Atlanta police officer her estranged husband ran over her foot during a heated argument back in March while he was trying to leave with her young children in the back seat. All right, so you walked over. So I'm like, move, and she won't move, and she's keeping the door open. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, Chloe, just stay in the car. And I move, and I close my car door, get in the car, and I start to move slightly, Mm -hmm. thinking she's here. Clear. Yeah, I'm thinking she's clear. And I barely move. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she's screaming that I ran over her foot. I don't believe it. But I don't... Warnock, the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, was not charged in the incident. Hospital first responders say his wife was able to wiggle her toes and there was no redness, bruising, or broken, broken bones. But Ule had more to say about Warnock's character. This man's running for the United States Senate, and all he cares about right now is his reputation. I work at the mayor's office, and this is a big problem. I've been trying to be very quiet about the way that he is for the sake of my kids and his reputation. I've tried to keep the way that he acts under wraps for a long time, and today he crossed the line. So that is what is going on here, and he's a great actor. He is phenomenal at putting on a really good show. As you mentioned, Tucker, Warnock is locked in a tight runoff against Republican Kelly Loeffler, a race that two weeks from now could decide the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. Well, that video is unbelievable. That woman is believable. This is sheerly from media bias. That's the only reason I'm attacking this. I don't know if it's true or not, but what his wife says is pretty fucking damning. The point is, do you think if he had an R behind his name, they wouldn't be fucking covering this en masse? New York Times, racial defense of Warnock bashes Loeffner's new deceptic tactic. Because they're trying so hard. So hard to get them elected. So fucking hard. That would make a Republican have to withdraw from the race, boys and girls. 
If Kelly Loeffner ran over somebody's foot, it's over. It's over. She's done. Nor do we have this. I'm counting down the hours till he's gone. Pelosi told her leadership team as they strategize this week, I plan to pull him out there by his hair, his little hands, and his feet. And the entire world, time for healing. Alec Baldwin. He deserves Trump a knee-on-the-neck, Romney King-style beating. Who arrests Trump if he refuses to concede? Who drags him out, pepper sprays, cuffs, knee to a neck, cutting off his oxygen? Does he wheeze? I can't breathe. Just wail away on him like a pinata. Roddy King style. The thug who's destroyed the country. Who does he deserve? What does he deserve? Healing. Unity. It's all we're about. I could play a Clooney saying he needs an ass beating. That's not like every night. All you got to tune in to, to, to Stephen Colbert. Just every night, tune in. You'll have the, somebody on there trying to be the coolest guy now. And while Brian Seltzer is getting offended by being called tater... Uh, CNN political correspondent Sarah Murray is a dim donor. But she gets to go on TV. They got no problem with that. Washington Post cartoonist depicts election lawsuits supporting Republicans as a scheming rat. And on our air this week, McConnell cheated. Yeah. CNN, most trusted name and dim news. And we are now learning also it was floated in an Oval in the Oval Office meeting, pushing for martial law in order to rerun the election. I think we're seeing just how desperate uh, Trump is becoming himself and how desperate the last remaining rats on the ship, if you will, are becoming because of that. Uh, we see Bannon apparently coming back on scene again, uh, probably most ardently seeking a pardon. <laughs> we see things like you just pointed out, General Flynn. I, I don't know if I were in charge of the military, if I were the chairman or if I were the secretary of defense more appropriately, I'd probably call Flynn back to active duty and then prosecute him under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, you can pick your charge there, incitement to insurrection or whatever. Um, these are desperate people, but I, I remember something that Colin Powell used to admonish his staff, both military and State Department, quite frequently. Don't take counsel of your fears. And I think that's one of the things we need to do now. We've just been through an election that was monumental. More Americans turned out uh, than any other election since World War II, maybe even before that, in terms of percentage. More Americans voted and voted by different methods. States upheld their laws, upheld their precedents, upheld their uh, protocols. They did a good job. Maybe in Kentucky, there was a little cheating. I think the Kentucky race uh, that Mitch McConnell was reelected in against all percentages uh, that pertained beforehand and exit polling. And maybe there was something there, but you know, you always, you never look into the Republicans for cheating. Uh, and I can say that I'm a Republican. 
but I think this election was incredibly well done, magnificently well done, and we should praise the states and all the people in the states who did it. And now we need to just not take counsel of our fears and understand we're going to get through this. And at noon on the 20th of January, Joe Biden is going to be the new president of the United States. But before then, then one thing, one other thing that we do know is we have reporting that Rudy Giuliani has called over to the Department of Homeland Security to inquire that if DHS could seize voting machines. Bill Barr was asked about that also today. Let me play for you what he said. It's such a great juxtaposition. So anybody questioning an election like the left did for four years is a fucking rat. But Mitch McConnell cheated. And nobody on CNN pushed back. There was no, no, come on, come on, come on. You put up a shitty candidate, she got beat. No, we're not going to do that. Why don't we do that? So we're going to go to a music break. I'm going to play Christmas because it's Christmas Eve. Santa's coming. Sorry, that was my little kid and me. And when we come back, you're going to hear a short clip because I got to lose my shit on something. Even the U.S. Army has gone intersectionality. And after that, we'll start COVID. yourself a merry little Christmas let your heart be light next year all our troubles will be out of sight have yourself a merry little Christmas make the Yuletide gay next year all our troubles will be miles away If the fates allow Until then we'll have to muddle through somehow So have yourself a merry little Christmas now Fakes allow 
gentlemen, you may have heard that some people down in the prep school wrote some racial slurs on some message boards. If you haven't heard that, I wanted you to hear it from me. If you're outraged by those words, then you're in the right place. That kind of behavior has no place at the prep school, it has no place at USAFA, and it has no place in the United States Air Force. You should be outraged not only as an airman, but as a human being. And I'll tell you that the appropriate response for horrible language and horrible ideas, the appropriate response is a better idea. So that's why I'm here. That's why all these people are up here on the staff tower. So let me have everybody who's up here please pull forward to the rails. Also, there are so many people here they're lining the outsides along the windows. These are members of the faculty, coaching staff, AOCs, AMTs, from the airfield, from my staff, from my headquarters. All aspects of the 10th Air Base Wing, all aspects that make up USAFA and the United States Air Force Academy. Leadership is here. You heard from Brigadier General Goodwin. Brigadier General Armacost is here. Colonel Block from the Athletic Department is here. Mr. Knowlton is in Washington, D.C. right now. That's why they're here. That's why we're all here, because we have a better idea. Some of you may think that that happened down in the prep school and doesn't apply to us. I would be naive, and we would all be naive to think that everything is perfect here. We would be naive to think that we shouldn't discuss this. That's from a couple of months ago. Somebody virtue signaling and the media jerked off to that with a fresh bottle of KY. Well, the acting secretary of the army or defense, excuse me. And we've already gotten rid of all sorts of shit. Like you ain't got photos no more. Ain't got your name. Understand moonbeams. Or moon bats, excuse me. The Army already promoted on a quota. This guy right here got passed over for E7 twice. Am I just conjecturing? No. I had a friend who sat on the board every year. I would make the cut. They'd go back and check by race. And they would remove white people to get black guys promoted who didn't make the cut. Because we would go by demographics. I retired in 2005, boys and girls. This was in the 90s they did it. 
I sat for six years as a fucking E6 because I couldn't get promoted because we implemented that shit under a fucking Clinton. And we tore down the fucking military and got rid of three fucking infantry divisions. He said, every time you made it. And then we cut through and about 50 or 60 dudes on the bottom of the pile. And that would be me. Get the boot. And then I made it, but I was so high on the list that I didn't get bumped. That's where the army was already rolling. But now, it's not going to matter what your PFT store is or how you qualified. Your ERs, all those won't mean, NCOERs won't mean a fucking thing. Your evaluation will mean nothing. Because it's going to get done by a review board. They're going to look at it. And if you're black, you're going to get one blocks. Everybody's going to take every black person, just one block them. They'll just get promoted because they're black. Because they accepted 15 recommendations. Is it important to go close with and kill the enemy and defend the country? No. What's important is how we look. You got enough gay people, trannies, girls. Number one, update recruiting content to just be black people, basically. Two, develop and publish a data-driven accession and retention strategy for just black people. Three, increase the pool of qualified reserve officers with black people. Four, remove aptitude test barriers that adversely impact diversity. Let's put this in a fucking equation here. In the United States Army, we used to do a skill qualification test. It was written in a 10th grade education. We're not talking sciency here. A guy like me, 95, 96, 97 every fucking time. Very fucking easy. And I was not AP anything. I had a 2.8 grade point average. Not part of Rhodes Scholar programs. They think that in the 90s under the Clinton were going to promote by quota because they said African American and people of color couldn't pass it. So now we're going to take the ASVAB And we're just going to make it, what's your name? You're in. Five, evaluate demographic trends and performance evaluations, what I just said. Six, develop diverse pools of qualified candidate for nominative positions. Establish a diversity and inclusion center of excellence. Seven, not a, how are we going to beat the Chinese on battle because they got a shitload of people. That's not going to be a center. Eight, Standardize a DOD human resources data system for diversity inclusion analysis. Well, why didn't this guy get this? You're a racist. You're fired. He's hired. Nine, offer leadership in science, technology, engineering, mathematics for junior ROTC programs, even if you're dumb as a post. Ten, develop a diversity inclusion organizational structure. We're going to have, like, the chain of command And then the woke chain of command. 11, develop a DOD diversity inclusion mobile application website so you can roll around. I didn't like the way I had to do 30 push-ups today in PT. He's racist. And hit your little phone. Oh, that's great. We're going to cancel culture fucking leadership. Um, Incorporate the values of cultivating diversity inclusion into leadership and professional curricula. That's number 12. So instead of learning how to be a better leader... How to lead people in combat, tell them to go up fucking hills, take out a bunker, go through a goddamn fucking cave system. Nope. A week of every school, 
you're a racist. You got white privilege. Uh, on this exercise, you must write an apology letter to people of color because you're a piece of shit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, 13, increase transparency, promotion, selection, and career opportunities. Oh, you're actually going to admit you've been promoting with quotas forever? 14, prohibit extremists and hate groups. Yeah, we already do that with tattoos. 15, update the Uniform Code of Military Justice to address extremist activities, but BLM won't be one of them. Rest you assured, that will not matter. It's not important. Not important at all. It's already started. Four Hood Kamansar Major suspended over unprofessional language. I can't find out what he actually said. It wasn't race, gender, sexual orientation, or sexual harassment. He probably just said, you're a fucking loser. What the fuck, Chuck? Remember, I went through the gay bash thing. All right, That was the big Clinton... Pieces of shit like goddamn fucking Senator Kennedy. Don't rest his soul because he's a piece of human filth. Made sure a good general didn't get promoted for about eight years and the brigade commander didn't. Over two gay guys fighting over a gay guy who was a girl, who was a guy but was acting like a girl in the baseball bat. That's the real story. That story didn't come out because we weren't going to say everybody was gay because we had a stupid commander-in-chief that came up with don't ask, don't fucking tell, which made no fucking sense. But let's just get to the point of the matter. Nobody gave a fuck if you sucked a dick as long as you did your goddamn job. I had a machine gunner who'd suck probably five dicks at once. He was super gay. I didn't care. He killed people. That dude was good with machine gun. I found gay shit in his room. I didn't fucking care. And no, I wasn't stupid. It was called an inspection. Didn't care if he sucked the dick. I just wanted him to do his goddamn job. So why am I screaming about this? This is the military everybody's green. It was already working. But these goddamn libtards have to fuck with everything and do their little science projects with the only place where we should not be science projecting. As much as I lose my shit on K-12 through indoctrination because it's child abuse, I will lose it more on the military. The sole purpose of the military is for you to go in there not be an individual. Not be ethnic, not be gay-oriented, or trans-oriented, or BLM-oriented, or fucking fishing-oriented, or fucking hillbilly-oriented. Whatever your orientation is, that matters not. You're in the fucking army, and your job is killer-oriented. Gay, trans Fucking aborigine, I don't give a fuck where you come from. You're green now. Or really weird brown with the UCPs. I don't know what they're going for in these new uniforms, but whatevs. Your job is to kill the enemy. Foreign and domestic. That's what you're there for. It's not to have an opinion. 
It's not to be intersectional. It's not to support Democratic principles, Republican principles, or any other principles. Support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and obey the orders of the officer, of order of the President of the United States and the officers above you. There it is. I kind of fucked it up. It's been a long time since I did the oath of enlistment. Nowhere in there does it say, hey, defend the Constitution by being a motherfucking Fruit Loop. Okay, I'm done. I feel better now. But before we move on to COVID, I got to cover this. This was on last night, and it is just some fucking fantastic shit. I don't know how I missed it, but University of Michigan is also doing this shit. And they come up with an inclusive language. And it's got some new ones, so I know I've covered a lot of these in the woke. Man, blacklist, whitelist, black and white thinking, brown bag. Brown bag. That's racist now, because it's brown. Crack the whip. Crazy or insane. Crippled, disabled, dummy, gender neutral. Grandfathered. Legacy status. Legacy's in, exempted, excused. Gypped or gypped. Handicapped, girl, gal, boy, guy, guys, gals. We've heard those. Honey, sweetheart, sweetie, got it. Long time, no see. That's now racist. Long time, no see. Are you fucking kidding me? How is that racist? Anybody? Low man on the totem pole, master, slave, native, off the reservation, preferred pronoun. You're not supposed to say that. It's just pronouns. What the fuck's wrong with you? Sanity check. Sold down the river. That's now racist. But my favorite was picnic. Somewhere in the world of idiots that run all this intersectionality thing, there's a theory in fact checks that I saw that said it was wrong that somehow picnic meant lynching. Yeah, really. That, that, that's what they thought. A picnic. So fucking Fozzie Bear or whoever that bear was, Yogi, in the picnic basket, he was a racist. When he was saying, let's go get the picnic basket, he was really saying, let's go lynch some black people, I guess. What the fuck? What the fucking fucking fuck? All right, let, let's just do some COVID. I, I got a lot of long sound bites, and I know we're trying to keep the show down, but it's kind of impossible with some of this shit. There's been a lot of crazy shit going on in our media with the politicization of 
COVID vaccines. That's what they're saying. It's been really interesting because if you really think about it, the only people politicizing it has been the left. And here is an 18-minute soundbite of the best of, or the worst of, COVID politics. This wasn't some stadium packed full of supporters who'd come to jeer and cheer and bask in the glow of this artificially tanned man. His meandering screed was not close to anything one would normally expect or accept of a president, but that shouldn't surprise us. That he chose to do it in the Rose Garden just steps away from the Oval Office, that too should not surprise us either. That's how numb we are. We listen to this man muse and meander, rant and regurgitate the same tired tropes and untruthful claims. We watch him boast and brag and preen and do that odd thing with his nose when he sucks in air very loudly, and none of it surprises us. That is how far we have fallen. More than 136,000 of our brothers and sisters, our moms and dads, grandparents and friends are dead. The president did briefly mention them, but only to boast about how many more people would have died had it not been for his actions. He calls it leadership, but to call it that would be misleading. The largest single peacetime loss of life in this country since the 1918 influenza pandemic, and no end in sight, and today the president was taking another victory lap, yet again. The graves are still fresh, but this president ignores them, and he spreads more falsehoods. And standing apart from so many others, opponents and supporters alike, including within his own circle, who are now beginning to face reality, regardless of where people stand, the political spectrum, they are facing up to the facts, or at least beginning to. And the facts, with few exceptions, they continue to be crushing. Is there anyone around the president who, you know, shakes their head when they hear him rambling in the Rose Garden like this? Uh, No, Anderson, we are down to Kool-Aid drinkers and next of kin. The idea that in the midst of an attack on America, a president of the United States would, you know, not just continue to make the lies that he he does constantly, but spend an hour in the Rose Garden, say, in this rambling, you know, riff on all his greatest, you know, gripes and and grievances, he would be relieved of duty if he was a commander-in-chief. I mean, it is really extraordinary. If we are under attack... So now we knew. Donald Trump knew the coronavirus was deadly, that it was airborne. He knew also that millions of Americans would get sick and many would die. He knew it wasn't just older people who would be killed by the virus. He knew early on that this would be the greatest crisis America had faced in decades. Members of Donald Trump's staff knew in January that a plague was coming to infect America, that half a million Americans could die, that millions more would likely lose their job, that the economy would be ravaged, and that those staff members, those staff members had a responsibility to warn him. And they did. But Donald Trump chose instead to lie to you. And to lie to your family. And to lie to over 300 million Americans about the storm that was coming to lay upon this land. And even as he lied, month after month, his staff remained silent. You see, 
staying in good standing with Donald Trump ended up being more important to them than saving your life. Now, six months into this lie, nearly 200,000 American souls are dead. Countless, countless remain ravaged by the aftermath of this horrific disease. Millions still out of work. And too many working class Americans have had their lives destroyed. Well, Wall Street traders and Donald Trump and his family get richer by the day. But Donald Trump says he didn't want Americans to panic. No, he just wanted to sit by and watch them die. Hoping the Dow Jones Industrial and the S&P would stay healthy enough to get him reelected. You know, your campaign put out your, in a critique of, of President Trump and says if he doesn't do these things, you know, he could he could cost lives. Do you think there's already do you think there is blood on the president's hands considering the slow response? Or is that too too harsh of a criticism? I think that's a little too harsh. I think what's happening is that failure to. I have to I'd be honest with you. For the last couple of weeks, when I walk into this building and I get in front of this camera, I swear, I feel like I'm in the movie network. I feel like Howard Beale. Americans are mad as hell. Are you, when are you going to... How much more can Americans take? Every single day berating people, lying. Versus the hoax. And then all along I knew it was serious, I knew it was a pandemic. How much more, how many people have to die? It's not being contained. Wasn't then, it isn't now. On March 6th, that very day that Kellyanne Conway said the virus is being contained, there were fewer than 20 deaths in this country. And now, more than 10,000 Americans are dead. That is a fact, a terrible fact, not an alternative fact. Americans, are you mad as hell? How much more are you going to take? Have the truckers vote. Nice truck. By the way, nice trucks. You think I could hop into one of them and drive it away? I'd love to just drive the hell out of here. Just get the hell out of this. I had such a good life. My life was great. And then I said, let's do this, darling. This will be a lot of fun. But you know what? I'm so happy with it because nobody has ever done so much in the first three and a half years. <clears throat> nobody's ever done um, so much to kill so many people. That's, that is that's correct. True. Nobody. That's literally nobody. Nobody is in, in the White House. It just hasn't... You, you got to hand that to him. Yes, that, you do. That he has made history. That if it wasn't so sad, yeah. I'd laugh harder. Some if an American president loses more Americans over the course of six weeks than died in the entirety of the Vietnam War, does he deserve to be reelected? So, yeah, we've lost a lot of people. But if you look at what original projections were, 2.2 million we're probably heading to 60,000, 70,000. It's far too many. One person is too many for this.
And I think we've made a lot of really good decisions. The big decision was closing the border or doing the ban. People coming in from China, obviously, other than American citizens, which had to come in. Can't say you can't come in. You can't come back to your country. I think we've made a lot of good decisions. I think that Mike Pence and the task force have uh, done a fantastic job. I think that everybody working on the ventilators, uh, you see what we've done there, have done unbelievable. The press doesn't talk about ventilators anymore. They just don't want to talk about them, and that's okay. But the reason they don't want to talk, that was a subject that nobody would get off of. They don't want to talk about them. Uh, we're in the same position on testing. We are lapping the world on testing and the world is coming to us as i said they're coming to us saying what are you doing how do you do it we're helping them so uh no i think we've done a great job and uh, one person i will say this one person ref afwan abortion is the the key to support for donald trump and the fact that he'll nominate judges who may overturn roe v wade that's the sort of core of the support is it as simple as as that or is is there more of sort of a also, you know, the tide of the country turning toward black and brown folks? Is, is it all of that or, or one more than the other? Well, I think it's, it is important to understand that for a lot of evangelical Christians, particularly white evangelical Christians, abortion had a huge role to do with why they supported Donald Trump. And Donald Trump very much in a cynical way used abortion uh, as a means of gathering that kind of support, record support, as you know, Joyce, some 81% of white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. That was a record in this country. That's more white evangelicals than voted for George W. Bush, who was actually a white evangelical. And so part of it has to do with that the kind of cynical politicking that's always involved in Republican campaigns to try to bring the evangelical vote. I think Trump just did a better job at it. But I don't think that we should pretend that the white part of this sentence doesn't matter. 67% of evangelicals of color voted for Hillary Clinton. These are people who more or less believe the same thing, hold the same theology, but just have a different skin tone. Um, I think there was this... People are dying because of his foolishness. It's really foolishness at this point. You know, America, you know, folks who love them, fine. You voted for them. You stuck it to the elites for three years. But now your loved ones can die. The game's over. This isn't reality TV anymore. People are dying, and this guy is... The most incompetent and uninformed president in history has led the federal government into the worst emergency response to a pandemic that we have ever seen in this country. One of our guests will tell us that it's one of the worst responses by any government in the world today. More people are sick in America tonight because Donald Trump is president. More people are dead and dying in America tonight because Donald Trump is president. More people are losing more of their life savings and retirement accounts today because Donald Trump is president. As we will discuss later in this hour, the president's 10-minute speech from the Oval Office last night directly provoked moral loss of stock market value, which is to say retirement funds, than any other speech by any other president in history. If Donald Trump had just said nothing, I've known you, John, for almost going on 40 years. Uh, and it's hard to think we're that old. And I've never known your political orientation. I've never known whether you felt more of a Republican or a Democrat. And yet, right now, you said you would favor Joe Biden because he has certain character traits. 
Explain to me why you came to that conclusion. I think that we are seeing in the most elemental way the significance and relevance of a fact-based, enlightenment-driven, empathetic presidency of the United States. I wrote the piece about Vice President Biden because it seemed to me that at a certain point, if you have any claim on people's attention, however minor, you have a moral obligation to say what you think. And I believe that as we read more and more of these reconstructions, as we look at more and more of what we used to call the TikToks, we will see that the Trump administration, because of the character of the person at the top, created a reality distortion field that slowed and warped a response that is going to kill more people than the Vietnam War did. And in that case, given those stakes, and if there's a choice at hand, I don't mind saying who my choice would be. And Jonathan, on the breaking news uh, at this hour tonight, we have a federal judge ruling that uh, the United States must release children from family detention centers, which just reminds the country of how bad uh, and cruel uh, Trump governing policies were before we got uh, to the cruelty exhibited in the pandemic, where the president simply walks away from the challenge of protecting this country from the coronavirus. Right. Cruelty doesn't work. Not protecting people's public health doesn't work politically. Look, you could give them a little bit of a break in February and March when this was a new thing. Okay, he's asleep. Switch was pretty bad. Then it gets worse when he's giving out misinformation. Now he's a public health menace and he has rivers of blood on his hands because of what he and these Republican governors have done. It's not March anymore. They they knew what they had to do, but they made the political decision. The problem for them is it wasn't the political decision. It was an idiotic decision politically on top of being very, very damaging to public health. So I think he's in a downward spiral now. And unless uh, Joe Biden, you know, nominates somebody far to the- Rubio isn't exactly the model of a science-abiding citizen. Because let me show you another picture. This is Rubio. This is just on November 11th, speaking before a maskless rally for the Georgia Senate contest. And the rally was such a health risk that our own correspondent, Hyung La, left because she couldn't, you know, didn't want to risk the, the COVID exposure. Consider that rally and every other anti-science thing that Rubio has done. And our own Anna Navarro says she thinks that means he shouldn't go to the front of the vaccine line. The tweet is this young, healthy senator who spoke at rallies packed with thousands without masks, who supports Trump, who's downplayed COVID and mocked those who wear masks as first to go get a vaccine while most medical workers, elderly and infirm Americans wait. Congratulations on your privilege. And Anna Navarro is with me now. So uh, I take it, you know, the, the answer to this question of, of who should get the vaccine first is pretty obvious. And that answer does not include Marco Rubio. I don't think they should include uh, the senators, period. Particularly, listen, there's something that really gets stuck, I think, in my craw and other people's craw at the idea that people who have been enabling Donald Trump downplaying the COVID virus, calling it a hoax, 
who have attended, spoken at, encouraged, promoted, and participated in so many of his reckless rallies where people have been packed like sardines and have spoken at these rallies knowing people are there maskless, who have attended super spreader events at the White House, like we've seen, you know, so many people get infected with COVID at them. And then, and then, after they've been selfish, after they've been reckless, after they've been servile to Donald Trump, then they get to jump the line and go in front of people who are in nursing homes and go in front of people who've been risking their lives for 10 months to keep others safe, like medical workers. They get to go in front of people who are on dialysis and who are on chemo. Give me a damn break. Give me a break. So there's a lot of politics going on, all right? And before we get into it, I mean, literally, Alyssa Milano, Israeli anti-Israel 500 million meme as a relief package critique. Uh, I'm sure the 500 million in arms and military aid to Israel and the 2 billion for Air Force missiles will help keep them warm when they're on the streets. Jacobin Journo really wants America to think that Israel is effectively stealing their COVID relief money. The new COVID relief bill contains $500 million for Israel. Holy shit. Guess this is why Jared got a garden named after him. A lot of that. But my favorite, before we go what's into the bill, is these little quotes from Mr. Unity. Our darkest days with COVID are ahead of us, not behind us. Well, that's just positive. Joe Biden, in one month, we begin to heal. Oh, really? But my favorite is Nancy fucking Pelosi. We didn't do it. We couldn't pass legislation until now because the administration simply did not believe in testing, tracing, treatment, wearing masks, sanitation, separation, and the rest, scientific approach. It has come clear to us now that they believed in herd immunity, quackery springing right from the Oval Office, and not denied sufficiently by some of the... uh, CDC and the rest. So now we have a vaccine, and that gives us hope. A vaccine that is springs from science. People say around here sometimes, I'm faith-oriented, so I don't believe in science. And I said, well, you can do both. Science is an answer to our prayers. And our prayers have been answered with a vaccine. And in this legislation, we had provision uh, for it to be developed, purchased, and distributed in a way, again, that is fair and equitable and free. Now, remember, everything is Christian's fault. Just remember that. And as long as you remember that, you'll be good with these people in our media. Can you imagine a Republican getting up there and saying, well, we would have passed this a lot, but the left was too busy trying to do intersectionality thing. They would lose it. Manu Raju, Pelosi wouldn't answer my question about why the $900 billion deal is more acceptable to her than the $1.8 million or trillion offer. Pelosi wouldn't call on me at the press conference 
Asked again in the hallway why this proposal is more acceptable than the Mulchin plan. Pelosi didn't respond, but Schumer, who was walking with her in the hallway, said, Ask Mitch McConnell. Here comes CNN working for the left. It's true McConnell and Senate Republicans objected to the 1.8, but so did Pelosi. But Republicans bad. Remarks to her statement, narrator, no one says this. Who says this? Yeah, nobody said that. Literally no one around here says that. Okay, who said it? Faith and reason go together, but Pelosi party shut down churches while strip clubs are open. That's not science. She gets away with it, though. Shameful Pelosi statement on how she helped save Americans. This is her tweet. Congressional Democrats have reached an agreement with Republicans in White House on an emergency coronavirus bill and omnibus package that delivers urgently need funds to save the lives and livelihoods of America. Rebecca Lay, you make an av- you folks make an average 130k over the last nine months of squabbling over whether to give Americans 600 bucks of their own money. You're the hero. Another one. You could have done this in July. You could have done this in October. And it's shameful. Just fucking shameful. You've got more than $600 million worth of ice cream in your fridge. Do you work in Pelosi's comms office? Gaslighting Politico Journal suggests Mitch McConnell is to blame. Sarah Ferris. McConnell's on the floor saying there's no reason this package shouldn't have been signed into law multiple months ago. This while infuriating Dems who have been trying to pass COVID relief since May, McConnell wanted to take a pause. Everybody said, are you fucking serious? Can you fucking be that serious? Because the problem is, even at the end of all of this, you get 600, the world gets everything. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, relief is finally here. After tense negotiations and multiple rounds of televised theatrics, the Congress has passed a definitive spending bill. It's 5,593 pages long. It amounts to $2.3 trillion. That includes nearly a trillion in COVID relief. All of it comes right from the U.S. Treasury, which is busy printing it right now. That's a lot of money. On the other hand, there's a lot of need. Thanks in part to government lockdowns, more than 100 million Americans are out of the workforce tonight. One in six restaurants is closed. Huge parts of the retail sector are in tatters. J. Crew is in bankruptcy. So is Pier 1, Neiman Marcus, Brooks Brothers, Century 21, many others. So if there was ever a time that Americans need relief, it's right now. So be glad to know there is something for you in this bill. It is entirely possible that you could get a $600 check courtesy of the U.S. Congress. That money, should you receive it, is yours to keep. Do what you wish. Buy a moderately sized television set and watch the free channels all night if you want. Run a Tesla for a day and drive it till the power runs out. Or splurge and order two full appetizers right off the tasting menu at the French Laundry in Napa. Tip not included. Whatever. The sky's the limit here. Go crazy. $600. 
all for you. It's good to be an American. On the other hand, it's also pretty good to be a Jordanian. This same bill, passed but not read by the United States Congress, allocates $500 million for border security in Jordan. That's enough cash to buy the French laundry in Napa a couple times over. But that's not what the money's for. Congress wants to help Jordan build a wall along its 275-mile-long border with Syria. Apparently, Congress is worried about illegal immigration over there, and you can see why. Illegal immigration is illegal, and that's bad. And that's why Congress allocated another quarter billion dollars for additional border security in Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. God knows those countries need it. Borders make a nation. Remember that. Except here, in the United States, which is unique among nations through history, borders are not relevant. In fact, borders are racist. And that's why this very same bill, which does so much for the Jordanians and the Egyptians and the Lebanese and the Tunisians and the people of Oman, defunds American border security. And ladies and gentlemen, we need that defunding. That way we won't be bigots. So the bill slashes funding for ICE detention space and blocks a request to hire more deportation officials. <coughs> Excuse me. It catches in the throat. <coughs> Immigration authorities in this country will have, <coughs> I beg your pardon, 11,000 fewer detention beds starting this year. And if that hurts, imagine all of those people moving here permanently. They'll have to. Problem solved. It's not like they're trying to sneak into Jordan. Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy is excited about this. He bragged about it in a press release today. There's also, you should know, $33 million in the bill for what are called democracy programs in Venezuela because we're experts on democracy. We're spending $231 million to help pay down the national debt of Sudan. And, of course, that's another area of expertise for us, national debt. Meanwhile, the bill, and you'll want to know this for certain, spends huge amounts of money to diversify the workforce in our so-called intelligence community. That's another key national security objective. And just in case you were worried that American society wasn't yet divided enough, this bill creates two new monuments to the interest groups that have the most political power at the moment. So henceforth, the Smithsonian will create a women's history museum, as well as what's called the National Museum of the American Latino. And that's just here in America. There's a whole lot more for the rest of the world. This bill spends $10 million on what it calls gender programs in Pakistan. Now, Congress doesn't specify exactly what those are. Lindsey Graham seems to know, and he's thrilled about it. Watch Graham's enthusiasm this morning. Pakistan is a place I really worry about. 85 countries, a woman can't open up a bank account without her husband's signature. She can't inherit property. If you're a young girl in Pakistan, life is pretty tough, so we're trying to make life better for women throughout the world. <clears throat> so Lindsey Graham is worried about a lot of things, but he's really worried about Pakistan. He's not worried about the fact that Pakistan has built a vast nuclear arsenal. That happened during the Clinton administration. Graham was in Congress at the time, actually. No, that's merely a minor concern, given that Pakistan is an unstable country locked in a permanent state of war with India. Lindsey Graham can handle details like that. Most statesmen can't. What concerns him most, what he's, quote, really worried about, is the state of gender roles in Pakistan. Now, Graham, who's never had a family, now imagines he's an expert in how the people of a country 7,000 miles away, whose language he does not speak, whose culture he does not understand, should be running their families. Lindsey Graham doesn't like how young people in Rawalpindi or Lahore 
too easily accept the customs of their elders. He'd like to shake things up in Pakistani society. He's got big ideas for how to create more enlightened Urdu-speaking households on the subcontinent, and he's going to use your money to do it. We're trying to make life better for women throughout the world, Graham announces. Like, of course he's capable of doing that. It's now on the list. Take out the trash, feed the cat, pick up spaghetti sauce. Make life better for women throughout the world. It's all in a day's work for an American politician. Overreach, you say? These are the same people who can't get the votes counted in a congressional election? Yeah. But they've got bigger aspirations than that. And those aspirations are all over this spending bill. On one page, you will find tens of millions of dollars set aside to recruit and retain women in the Afghan army. Okay. But why is the U.S. paying for this? Is that something that will help the United States in some measurable way? Would help Afghanistan? Why are we doing this? Well, the real reason Congress is spending that money, of course, is because crazed ideologues in various interest groups and the federal bureaucracy would like to change one of the world's last remaining traditional societies. Someday, some unhappy 26-year-old American Foreign Service officer can write her master's thesis in gender studies on how she undermined the patriarchy in Southwest Asia. That's the whole point of it. Meanwhile, no one in the State Department or the Congress has paused to think about what the Afghans think. The very same people who lecture you about cultural imperialism think it's totally irrelevant what the native population might think of this. And in fact, it's possible they may not consider this progress. Maybe they are happy with their ancient culture, unsavory as we may find it. That culture existed a thousand years before ours arrived. Maybe they'd like to keep it. Come to think of it, why would anyone in Pakistan ever take advice from us on how to organize a society? You must allow market forces to destroy your gender roles, says the civilization that's become miserable by doing the exact same thing. Yeah, no thanks. Maybe they'll tell us to keep our money. But no matter what they say, we will not stop sending them our money. Foreign aid is the most effective possible way for the academic left to export its poisonous social program to the rest of the world. The Roman Empire built roads. We demand poorer countries become woke. Before long, our aid budget will consist entirely of advanced weapon systems for the Middle East and taxpayer-funded gender reassignment surgeries for Africa. And the State Department will be happy about that. Lindsey Graham will celebrate it. But how will you feel about it? Well, who cares how you feel about it? You've got 600 bucks, so shut up. Matt Wallace writes for The Daily Wire. He joins us tonight. Matt, great to see you. I mean, th- there are a lot of parts of this that raise all kinds of questions. Again, why in the world is a country whose social fabric is unraveling, doubling down on social engineering in countries it doesn't understand? It baffles me. But the, maybe the deeper question is, how is our economy collapses? Is this the answer? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of an extremist on this issue, I guess. I, I don't exactly see why we should be sending foreign governments Ta- our taxpayer money for any reason ever, but especially not now. And when you look at this bill, I mean, six hundred dollars to uh, to Americans in this situation—it's amazing because it's exactly the wrong thing. It's they, they, they've 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 chosen of all the possible doors to walk through, the worst possible one. I mean, you could make an argument. Maybe that Congress shouldn't be sending anyone $600 or any money at all because, you know, if a, if a, if a business owner in New York has been bankrupted by the decisions made by their governor, then why should a taxpayer in, in North Dakota have to pay for it? It should be up to New York to pay for that. So you can make that argument. Um, now, I would tend to say that the federal government has had a lot to do with, with pushing these lockdowns. And in any case, you know, Americans are suffering and they need help and we, we have Congress for that. 
But then $600, as you point out, what is that supposed to do for anyone? If you're, if you're in a financial, financially desperate situation uh, and you have $4,000 worth of expenses in a month to pay, $600 is basically nothing. So either Congress should give nothing or they should give enough to make some kind of difference for, for people who are in a desperate spot. But what they do here, just it's, it's, we're still spending billions of dollars to send these checks out but it's not going to accomplish anything at all for anybody. Well, exactly. So they have no idea what they're doing. They can't keep our parks clean. They can't people, keep people from ODing on the sidewalk. And yet at the same time, they're telling us they're going to increase human happiness in countries whose language they don't speak. That's what Lindsey Graham just announced on the morning show on this channel. And you've got to wonder, maybe hubris is part of the problem. Do you imagine you can increase human happiness in a country you know nothing about? Yeah, that's it is. It's it's hubris. It's incredible on 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 that end. It also seems to me that you know one thing you hear about our lawmakers, um, conservatives will say this a lot, is well they they hate us. They just they just don't like us as Americans. And there's something to that possibly, but I, I think it's more just total disregard. I think that these are empty, right. vacuous people who just don't they don't care really one way or another. And that's how they've approached this entire crisis just as people who don't you know your well-being as a person if your kids have to can't go to school for a year um they don't care it means nothing to them so it's just disregard and that's that's how they seem to be treating it it does seem even by the standards of the congress to take quite a bit of i'm searching for the word here boldness to take u.s tax dollars to fund border security in the middle east how can they look us right in the face and say it's really important to fund a border wall in Jordan, but it's immoral to have a border wall here? Yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. I, I mean, I, obviously, I'm, I'm all for any country protecting their borders. I think that countries should do that and have, have a right to do it, and, and their citizens have a right to expect it. But if we can do it in the Middle East, then, then why can't we do it here? It's, uh, it's totally insane. <laughs> well, it's almost like they're baiting us. It's almost like they're saying, if we notice, we're going to defund your border security, but we're going to send money to Jordan for a border wall. It's, it's, it's beyond belief. Matt, I hope you have a Merry Christmas, totally unburdened by what Congress just did. I, I will try as best I can. Thank you. So what should have been in this bill? Jesse Waters is co-host of The Five, host of Waters World. We're happy to have him join us tonight. Jesse Waters, if you're writing this bill, what would you have put in it? So my lobbyists, Tucker, are already working on what we're going to do in the next COVID relief package, because we believe that that's coming any day now. We're thinking about $45 million for the Fang Fang Appreciation Center in the Bay Area. This is where <laughs> congressmen that are brokenhearted can kind of co-mingle with Chinese spies and just kind of remember how simple life used to be. We're also looking at a direct $65 million infusion to the badminton courts at John Kerry's club. I don't know if you've seen the nets, Tucker. They're frayed beyond repair. And Teresa, she can't serve birdies in this state. So that needs to happen almost immediately. We also have a defund the police interactive 
exhibit. That's going to be in Cuba. That'll cost a cool $16 million. That's where you can get pepper sprayed, and they'll send you photographs of yourself. You can post those on your social media. Then you can cool down in the Chaz Wing, where you douse your eyes with Evian water, and that's just for VIPs only. So those are the kind of things we're cooking up. Just announce your Senate bid any day because I'll be your finance director. I got to ask you about the president's response to this. You may not have seen it. Yeah. He just tweeted out his view of this bill. Here's what he said Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault, it was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. There it is. President, a Republican president wants the direct payments to be more generous. Well, after the Trump tax cut, People got, what, a $1,000 bonus from some of these nice companies? Nancy called those crumbs. And now she wants an Attagirl for 600 I don't think so. Tucker, millions of dollars for gender studies in Pakistan. If you listen yeah. really closely, you can hear the Pakistani generals laughing at us. They were hiding bin Laden for years while we were sending them billions of dollars. Um, did you know that you can have up to four wives? in Pakistan. I have a feeling this money is going to be spent on arranged marriages, not gender studies. I want to help American women first before I help those women. How about $70 million in Cambodia? Can we get that in the Carolinas? I mean, yeah. you wrote about a ship of fools. This is a den of thieves. They're literally stealing from us while we're dying. They used to sharpen their pitchforks and storm the castle after an abuse of power like this. Now our eyes are so glazed over, sitting on our couches, staring at our iPhones made in China, that all we can do is order delivery because they said we can't eat out. We have to eat inside because of the virus also made in China. So the least they can do is comp the funerals for the 300,000 dead Americans from the China virus. That's a great idea. I don't know if Trump is listening. How about you cop the funerals? It's kind of weird they're pushing for legalized weed at the same time. I wonder if there's, that has any kind of connection here. I got to <laughs> ask you about Joe <laughs> no about <idea>. Joe Biden. <laughs> right. A passive population is a good population. Uh, so Joe Biden, obviously yeah. not the most articulate man uh, in politics, but pretty good at insults. Earlier this year, he told a New Hampshire voter she was a dog-faced pony soldier, and he kept that equine theme alive when he attacked our own Peter Ducey this morning. Watch this. He still thinks that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were rushing to the Now, I know Biden's from an earlier time, but the horse references kind of confuse me. What's a one-horse pony? Do you know? I can only guess that he was mixing metaphors. A one-trick pony and Peter Ducey likes to beat a dead horse. Now, until we see the <laughs> official cognitive assessment done by Dr. Jill Biden... I don't know what we're going to make of this, but I'm kidding. In all seriousness, does, doesn't it make sense, though, Tucker, that the Chinese invested in Joe? 
I mean, he's an yeah. easy mark. We're going to get into a summit with the Chinese, and Joe's going to say pony instead of tariff, and we're going to have surrendered the trade war. We're not even going to know what happened. Every time I see Biden, I want to say, I've got three walnuts. There's a glass bead under one of them. See if you can... <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, he's such an easy mark. I feel like a gypsy. Oh, totally. I know. The great Jesse Waters. I, I thanks, know. For, thanks for that. Good to see you tonight. Thank you. So the president has announced 15 new pardons tonight. That would include some people caught up in the Mueller probe. We'll tell you who they are after the break. And thanks to the Wuhan virus, many Americans relied on the video chat service Zoom. In fact, let's be honest, the whole country is on Zoom. The Chinese government controls Zoom. What have they been doing with their new power over our communications? There's a story there. We'll tell you what it is after the break. This is a Fox News alert. The president just announced a slate of pardons. They include George Papadopoulos. He's the former naval officer and campaign aide whose conversation with an Australian diplomat set off the Russia probe, or was the pretext for it. In the end, Papadopoulos pleaded guilty in the Mueller probe to lying to federal agents. Right, he was pardoned. Other pardons included two Republican members of Congress and a man called Alex Vanderswan, a Dutch national who was also charged by the Mueller investigation with making false statements. We'll have more on the full list and its implications later. Eric Wan is the CEO of Zoom. He was just named Business Person of the Year by Time Magazine. Not that anyone cares, but the business press appears to. They love Wan, and they want you to know he's a very good person. As a tech entrepreneur, do you believe you have a larger responsibility to do something better, greater for society? To care about a community and a society where we live, that's the number one important thing. So we got to think about what's your corporate social responsibility. If every company are thinking about this way, we will help to make the community and society a better place. Thank you so much for joining me and congratulations. What a year you've had. Oh, do you flex a slobber on your screen? Yeah, probably. Check carefully. By the way, that's not out of character. That's how the business press, press in this country, treats most CEOs. Tell us why you're so wonderful. Why should your stock price be even higher? That's not journalism. It's an extended suck-up. But in this case, it was particularly egregious. He's such a great person, so much better than you are. What MSNBC and Time Magazine didn't mention is that that man and his company worked with the government of China to censor and monitor video calls. The Justice Department announced last week that it has filed... ...charges against an executive at Zoom for working with the Chinese government to shut down meetings on Tiananmen Square protests. You're not allowed to talk about that in China or on Zoom, apparently. That's a product that every American company uses. When was the last time you were on a Zoom call? Probably today. In the filing and a subsequent statement from Zoom, we learned that the company agreed to monitor U.S.-based criticism of China after China blocked its services in 2019. The CEO of Zoom was even involved in a 
subsequent statement from Zoom, we learned that the company agreed to monitor U.S.-based criticism of China after China blocked its services in 2019. The CEO of Zoom was even involved in a discussion on which apps to use to, quote, exchange classified information with the Chinese government. Zoom, as we just said, is used by everyone in this company, government agencies, large corporations, individual families. And China was able to use its market size to bully Zoom into spying for them. What? Why is this not a massive threat to our national security? It sure seems like it. Michael Pulsbury is a senior fellow and director of Chinese strategy at the Hudson Institute, and we're happy to have him on tonight. Michael Pulsbury, thanks so much for coming on. So all of a sudden, one of the Thank ancillary you. effects of this virus from China is our total reliance on Chinese software, Zoom, that it turns out the Chinese government yes. is using to spy on us. Explain the parameters of this, if you would. Well, the indictment uh, in Brooklyn on Friday is very revealing, Tucker. It turns out that Zoom has a capacity to figure out the content of conversations, and if they're considered to be anti-China, uh, such as thinking back to the Tiananmen incident, anything anti-China, uh, Zoom is able to shut down that conversation within one minute. There's a second part of the indictment that this gentleman on the run now uh, in China uh, was able to was willing to provide data on, to, in one case, 20,000 Zoom users, uh, including their IDs and what else that they do on Zoom. So the whole Zoom operation seems to be at the behest at, of China. Fucking shameful. COVID stimulus bill wheeled around Congress because it can't be carried. It's so fucking big. Uh, Wall Street Journal dive in the COVID relief bill catches some negative attention. Oh shit, I wasn't logged in. Hold on a second. Let me log in. There we go. Josh Hockley. The negotiations are saying they could only find enough money for 600 per person check for working people, but mark my words, there'll be hundreds of billions in special interest. First off the bat, family members of unauthorized immigrants are now eligible to get stimulus checks under it. The eligibility is retroactive, so they're going to get $1,800, but you legal citizens suck a dick and take your 600 and shut up. No retroactive unemployment for the millions out of work, but illegal aliens not only get $600 check, they can get a $1,200 check too. Remember that Republicans approved this along with a Latinx museum. As you heard on the Tucker Climate Security Advisory Council, $10 million for gender programs in Pakistan. Funds to investigate the 1908 Springfield race riots. The Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act. Museum that will offer programming, education, exhibitions on the life, art, history, and culture of women. 
Performance enhancement drugs in horse racing. Horse racing painkillers. And you heard the rest in the Tucker. It, it is fucking unfucking believable. That's what they went with. And at the same time, a shitload of people caught doing what they're not supposed to be doing while they're locking down everybody. San Francisco, Breed, I mean, it just goes on and on. There's another 10 fucking people caught this week. Federalist, I moved from lockdown Virginia to open Florida and faces came back to life. Somebody from Yahoo, I mean, except for the 20,000 Floridians who have died from coronavirus, large part because of irresponsible leadership, they're still trying to play that. And there's all sorts of shit with masks. Do mask mandates work? These are facts. Sorry about it. We looked at all 50 states. No mask mandate. 17. The number of cases per day were 100K people for the states with no mask. With mask, 27 states. The number of cases per day were 100K people for the states with mask mandates. It's the same. It's like it doesn't work. I got another one in a second. It doesn't work, but they tried really hard to put all this shit on top of Republicans with the media's help. And then promptly Trump said, go fuck yourself. He wants 2000. Jake Sherman. We are in the beginning of a full-blown legislative crisis. It's two days for Christmas. Congress is home. We're in a pandemic. Unemployment insurance runs out. Ah, this is horrible. I laid out some of these thoughts in playbook this morning, but I have further thoughts now. People counting on Trump backing down. Maybe he's completely detached from the legislative process. Irony of this whole thing is Trump could have gotten 2,000 stimulus check. He was even remotely involved in the process. He wasn't even an observer. Trump has now humiliated Steve Munchen once again. And of course, the media dogged Trump. This is relief that the American people have now been waiting months for. That stimulus package would provide aid for millions out of work and fearing eviction. But now all of that is up in the air with a threat from the president. This morning, President Trump signaling he won't sign that COVID relief package set to provide aid for millions of Americans. With millions of Americans ready to spend their next round of COVID stimulus checks, President Trump has thrown a last-minute wrench into the deal struck by Congress. NBC White House correspondent Kelly O'Donnell has the very latest on all of the back and forth. Uh, Kelly O, good morning. Good morning, Craig. President Trump delivering an unwelcome Christmas week surprise, a threat that could delay or deny millions of Americans the COVID relief they so desperately need. He demanded that Congress upend their completed bill to increase the checks to $2,000. Now, that's an amount Democrats had wanted all along, undermining Republicans. So Speaker Pelosi called his bluff and tweeted, let's do it. That's been the Democrats' position all along, so they seized on the opportunity by scheduling a vote for tomorrow, raising that amount to $2,000. Now, as of last night, they said they want to give 2000 And everybody on the internet, regardless of your left or right, was saying the same fucking thing. It's ridiculous. But as we go into the vaccine, which is just a brief section on the vaccine, 
I could play thousands of sound bites because they literally, literally are using it to once again politicize the issue. Here is some stuff from March. Eric Solwell, stop wearing masks. I regret listening to Surgeon General and posting this. Vox, we've deleted two tweets from March about mask wearing. Though we replied with an update when CDC guidance changed the recommended mask. Recent replies suggest the time frame update was unclear. To ensure current public health guidance says you can wear a mask. So we deleted it. I just want you all to remember, all this politicization, they were the ones saying go to Chinatown. They were the ones saying, if you stop travel from China, you're a fucking xenophobe. They were the one. Scotland, head of the the secretary, the government, uh, head of Scotland government gets caught breaking her own COVID-19 laws. Everybody's doing it. It's it's what they do. And more importantly on this political shit, Carol Roth, just to be clear, it is essential but small businesses and employees through NYC or not. Donald Trump Jr., how is failing sketch comedy show an essential business? You got it. SNL, no mask, no social distancing. But they're allowed. But the real politics hasn't just been the stimulus, as we end this segment and move into a short woke. Anna Navarro suggests who gets vaccine should be based in part on political history if they're a politician. Anna Navarro says it's immoral for people who have enabled Donald Trump downplaying the COVID virus, calling it a hoax, who have attended, participated in so many of these reckless rallies to receive a vaccine. They're back to that. If you're a Republican, go fucking die. Kyle Griffin, while Republicans who downplayed the seriousness of the coronavirus, who stood by as their colleagues downplayed it, seriously getting COVID vaccines ahead of frontline workers. It's just like last podcast. If you get one, you're a piece of shit. If you don't get one, you're a piece of shit. Jim Acosta, image of members of Congress who've enabled Trump during the pandemic getting vaccinated before Americans receive COVID relief shows just how deformed Washington has become. This goes for people administration went along with Trump downplaying the virus. Oh, now you trust science? There is zero difference between Acosta's reporting and the daily DNC talking points. He sounds no different. Sister told you. Meanwhile, other reporters have stated Trump and other Republicans should get the vaccine and do it on camera so people believe it. So either way, they do it. They're fucked. My point. Jake Tapper. Watching the vaccines of politicians who have done more to help the virus spread instead of containing it. It's like they talked to each other and came up with it, but they didn't notice Squad member Presley prioritized prisoners for vaccine, medical community, medical apartheid on blacks, and said, I'm not getting the vaccine because of Tuskegee. And then she got it. But we don't have any blowback on that because she's black. If you're black, you can do anything to the left because that's their latest cudgel. 
Kale Roth will end us great. This dumbass stimulus bill makes just about every mistake they made the last time. They had more than nine months to figure out means testing to help screwed over by government mandate business closures. These lazy assholes are given $1,200 to a couple who make six figures and others who have been impacted, but mere crumbs to people who were. Why? Small businesses, the backbone of the economy, still need to jump through ridiculous PPP hoops while cash for cronies is given out willy-nilly, and they are still making it more difficult to get people back to work with unemployment bonuses. Colleges are getting more money. Bottom line, once again, the government has an agenda, and the agenda is not you, not mainstream America, and not anything else, but trying to secure their own power. Don't let them buy you off with $600. And she's right. She's 100% right. It's fucking criminal. This is all fucking criminal. The stuff they are doing is unbelievable. What the fuck does all that woke money going overseas have to do with COVID? What the fuck does a museum have to do with it? But our media is not going to tear that apart. They're going to say Trump's a piece of shit starting a goddamn problem before Christmas because he won't sign the bill. And, oh, Mitch McConnell was the bad guy. He was the guy that wouldn't approve all this liberal shit. When, in fact, it was the left. So... As we go out to a music break, and I know this is a long show, but it's too fucking good. Here's de Blasio saying he's going to go door to door to British citizens who have flown here. Because he's a fucking goddamn fascist. But to make sure that people understand, we have to have tough rules, especially if you do choose to travel. The state has very clear rules. If you travel... Yes, there is a way to test while you're away and test when you come back and come out of the quarantine. But otherwise, you are quarantining. That is the state law. And we will make sure that that quarantine is upheld. This is going to be the busiest travel time of the year when you think about all these days up through New Year's. Intensive travel time. We need people not to travel, but if they do, we're going to be very, very stringent about the rules. So first of all, for folks coming in, from the United Kingdom. Uh, we will have a new approach given this new strain we're seeing there. Effective immediately, all travelers, literally every single traveler coming in from the United Kingdom will receive a Department of Health Commissioner's order directing them to quarantine. This will be a personal and direct order to every single one of them telling them they must quarantine. And that will be given to all travelers beyond just those, I want to be clear, beyond anyone coming in just from the UK. Every traveler who comes into the city that we identify as someone coming into the city or coming back to the city will also receive that Department of Health Commissioner's order. Now, that will go out through certified mail, so it will be going right to where people live, right to where they're staying. It's going to be confirmed they got it, and then people are going to be held responsible for following the quarantine. But specifically for folks coming in from the UK, given that particular concern, we are going to have sheriff's deputies go to the home or the hotel of every single traveler coming in from the UK. So when they arrive at the airport, they're going to have to fill out the form notifying us that they are coming into New York City. Uh, We're going to provide them with that commissioner's order. 
but then there's going to be a follow-up direct home visit or hotel visit from the sheriff's deputy to confirm that they are following the quarantine, or if they are not, they will be penalized. We cannot take chances with anyone who travels, particularly folks traveling in from the UK. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this sample phrase It's from one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas to Times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Colleges and universities are given the task of raising the next generation of leaders. 
However, over the past couple of years, these higher education institutions have also taken on the role of developing the next generation of radical movements. And the defund the police movement just happens to be the most recent example of this trend. I'm Ophelia Jacobson, and today we'll be analyzing how colleges and universities were giving warning signs of anti-police sentiments long before the slogan became common this past summer. Based on media coverage and social media content, it seems as if the defund the police slogan only started gaining popularity in May during the George Floyd protests. Many were surprised at this newfound sense of disrespect and hate towards police. But if we take a closer look at what professors and administrators were saying about our law enforcement on these college campuses, it shouldn't be a surprise that so many Americans now support this movement. The reality is this didn't start overnight. Watchdog groups like the Leadership Institute's Campus Reform have been exposing how America's higher education institutions have degraded law enforcement for years. And now we're seeing how these sentiments were only a small preview of what we're witnessing now in modern society. In 2015, Vanderbilt University offered an anti-police course following the Ferguson unrest that lasted nearly a year in the streets of Missouri. One year later, Roger Williams University played anti-police music in a mandatory racial justice course. By promoting this type of rhetoric in the classroom, these professors have infiltrated their students' minds into believing that the police are evil and unnecessary. And as these students graduated from these institutions and entered into the real world, they took what they learned in the classroom and applied it to real life. And in many cases, this sentiment was promoted in a more discreet way. Rather than explicitly offering anti-police courses, some professors and faculty members, many of which are taxpayer-funded, took it upon themselves to become social justice warriors and actively participate in calls to defund the police. In 2018, the Gender and Women's Studies Department at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign called for abolishing ICE and the police. Fast forward to 2020 at the University of California, faculty members joined in on the once radical call to defund campus police. So even though it wasn't being directly taught in the classroom, these actions spoke louder than words. This set a poor example for students, many of which look up to their professors for guidance and knowledge. So it was only a matter of time until the students joined them as well. Students have been working in tandem with their professors since 2017 to diminish respect for law enforcement. At the University of Wisconsin-Madison, the student government unanimously passed an anti-police resolution to counter the implicit bias found within the campus police department. In 2018, socialist students at Stony Brook University in New York demanded that the campus police be disarmed. And then a year later, students at Yale University circulated a petition for the administration to disarm the police and then donate to the Black Lives Matter movement. Now in 2020, one-third of Harvard undergraduates favor abolishing or defunding their campus police. Students in Chicago protested for the same actions, despite a 139% increase in murder in their city. And students at the University of Minnesota were successful in cutting ties between their school and the Minneapolis Police Department. Americans should have seen this movement coming. What is taught in college classrooms across the nation has a direct impact on modern society and culture. For five years, the Leadership Institute's campus reform has been reporting on this movement. These examples should have acted as warning signs for what was to develop into a nationwide radical call to defund the police. 
Maybe if we would have recognized these anti-police sentiments back in 2015, we could have stopped our generation from developing such disrespect for law enforcement. It is up to us as Americans to pay close attention to what is being taught at our colleges and universities. These institutions serve as the birthplace of these radical ideas and movements that eventually seep into day-to-day life in America. Nobody knows what radical movement is going to come next, but what we do know is that there is a very high chance that it is already being developed and promoted on college campuses as we... Ah, yes, that's some good shit right there, ain't it? Good stuff. It's exactly what I've been saying. It started in our schools, and then it just fucking flew over to us. Seattle Public Schools forcing white teachers to atone for their privilege in the spirit murder of black kids. We covered it last podcast. But I just wanted to say it one more time. I'm going to keep saying it as we go through all this because it is what is wrong with everything in our school system. And why we have teachers doing this. It goes really well with Sean in Oregon's article, Seattle Antiphon, this is from uh, Post Millennial, who calls for violence works as a child camp counselor. And I think it's a guy... Yeah, Mikkel Andrew Baker, 23 of Seattle, tweeted an extensive list of local business owners last week who signed a petition to support a dismantling of a growing autonomous zone. Baker was born male, but now identifies as trans. Looks like a freak. These are the businesses and literally one single resident that signed a petition to sweep Cal Anderson Park. No further comment, tweeted Baker along with a screenshot of a list and a follow-up a fellow Antifa posted all the addresses associated. He is the biggest freaky fuck you ever seen. An Antifa cat girl. Antifascista cat girl, he says. What's the point of having guns if you're not going to use them to shoot racists? Yeah. That guy, right there, I, I blame the parents. I blame the parents. If you're not checking out who your kids are hanging out with, shame on you. And oh, why, by the way, here's Portland, barbecue restaurant destroyed. A big portion of the back of the building is burnt and destroyed. And there's a large fire presence here, which is cool. It comes from people that are like, sorry, my AR fell down. Um, This wizard who is the founder of BLM. So y'all asked, and I am ready to answer. Am I a Marxist? Let's get into it. Hey everybody, my name is Patrice Colors. I am the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. I'm also the executive director of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. And welcome to my YouTube channel. We're going to talk about something that I have been accused of over the last several months. 
it's been intense at times, it's been hilarious at times, but I feel like I need to set the record straight. Am I a Marxist? I've seen a lot of y'all's comments. In fact, I got them right here. Do not fall for their trick. They're pushing a communist agenda. Sorry, this is really funny. <laughs> so despicable how Marxists have infiltrated the civil rights movement and turned it into a monster. She is trying to burn the whole system down. Admitted trained Marxist and Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors sends strongly worded letter to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris demanding they bow to their Black liberation domestic terror agenda. We warned you this was coming. And now it's here. Patrice Colors is a Marxist. All right, y'all. I mean, let's let's just talk about it. Am I a Marxist? I'm a lot of things. I do believe in Marxism. It's a philosophy that I learned really early on in my organizing career. We were taught to learn about the systems that were criticizing capitalism. We were taught to understand why there were philosophies that were criticizing capitalism. I'm working on making sure that people don't suffer. I'm working to make sure people don't go hungry. And these comments that I've received have been incredibly hurtful. It means that so many people who have listened to people like me inside Black Lives Matter and across other social justice organizations aren't really taking our work very seriously. But I do believe that we can get to a place where there's a socioeconomic system that doesn't oppress some groups of people and only uplifts a few. We can't allow for fear to dictate how we understand what's possible. You want to know a funny fact? Everybody called Dr. Martin Luther King a communist. That was the terrible word he was called forever up until he was assassinated. And now, everybody loves Dr. Martin Luther King. Nobody talks about his work as being work that was terrible or bad. And so our movement, um, at the core of it, we believe in the liberation of every single human being. What structure will get us there? Not our current ones. We can see that right now because of COVID-19. Who's being impacted the most by COVID-19? The poor. Who's being impacted the most by COVID-19? Black folks, Latinx folks. And so if we lived in a system that cared for everybody, COVID-19 wouldn't be as big of an issue. We could just look at countries overseas who are dealing with it completely differently because they actually value human lives. That's what our movement believes in. We believe in the valuing of human lives. Damn, should I make a video about that? I don't know if it's worth us talking about communism because it it just has such a bad rap well because it's failed every time that's why it has a bad <laughs> but rap. so has capitalism absolutely because the u.s is so good at propaganda and being like this it has sold the idea of the american dream and that's tied into capitalism and wealth it's it's much harder to sell communism given that so much of the experiment has failed around the world Alright y'all, so I am pretty done on talking about socioeconomic structures, so we're about to wrap it up. So after you watch this video, how about you pop your comment in about what you now believe in? I want to know. And just so you know... Yeah, that's a warm fuzzy. That's a warm fuzzy. Another one is Nicole uh, Ida Bay Wells. Yeah. 
All you have to do is talk about the integrating schools to see the truth about how poorly people of every political stripe think of black children. I think I will never get over how disdainfully people talk about 10, 11-year-old children as lacking talents and gifts and being undeserving of the same educations they absolutely demand from their own children, how we think their academic fate should be determined by the fifth grade. Our society ensures certain children live in segregated, struggling neighborhoods, that they are born into disadvantages, that we send them to schools that reinforce their disadvantage. And then we say because they're disadvantaged, they deserve to remain so. People, school choice would fix that, her reply. School choice literally came out of stymie integration, but nice try. Somebody did, this statement is disputed. Why don't I acknowledge that is what is right in her point? It can be true that many just want to gain personal advantage from vouchers choice, but also true that some public schools would improve with competition. Others, absurd. School choice segregates children or parents who care from those who don't. That's absolutely false, but nice try. Just a lie. Blah, blah, blah. The evidence also suggests today private school voucher programs generally lead to integration. The fact of the matter is, where she gets away, and nobody's arguing the point. What about poor white kids? What about kids that go to shitty schools all over this country because of funding, tax base? It's not about race. It's about the schools, but you can't touch the schools because libs are teachers. Teachers are libs. Black Lives Matter annual Black Christmas targeted targets Amazon, and they accomplish anything. Universities nationwide incorporate BLM anti-racism into their libraries. George Mason, Arizona State, University of Wisconsin, Illinois State, University of South Carolina, all with books about white fragility. At USF, 50-plus anti-racism courses still not be an, may, may not be enough. God, I fucked that up. The school already offers more than 50 courses that are explicitly centered on race or racism. A committee of 14 professors in the process of creating the programs, according to the university student newspaper, the curriculum creates a certificate program built around a course entitled Racism in American Society. The College of Art and Science Anti-Racism Working Group recommended a revised version of this course for general anti-racism course requirement. According to the course description, Racism in American Society will prompt students to develop critical working definitions of race that account for change over time, geography, and co-constructed vectors of power such as class, gender, and sexuality. Other courses include Latina OX, because nobody knows how to call it anymore, Media Studies, Seminar on Race and Police Violence, Black Feminism, Sex, Work, and Trafficking, a course called Black Lives Matter from Garvey to Tupac. Oh, yeah! That's what I want to spend my hard-earned money on. Cornell offers persons of color exemption from flu vaccine while we're simultaneously saying we must give it to black people. Make up your fucking mind. Law professor advocates for black Americans to votes to count twice. We covered it, but I didn't know who did it. And here it is, Washington and Lee University. The professor said that doing so was simply low-cost way 
to address systemic racism. Brandon Hasbrook, a racist! Let's check in on the root. That's me pretending to type. The Negro solstice is finally upon us, and these tweets are just what the cosmos ordered to put us in the mood. Type an article about white people. Also from DeRoot, it took 100 years where Virginia finally removed Robert E. Lee. And I'm sure most of the motherfuckers out there don't even know who Robert E. Lee is. Professor says we can level the racial playing field by immunizing essential workers before the white elderly. Another article came out this week. Another professor. Go fuck yourself. Then we get into some more Hannah Nicole Jones. Nick Gillespie. Frederick Douglass called the Constitution a glorious liberal liberty document that guaranteed the rights of all. Damon Root tells me why Douglass' vision is as powerful as ever. Ida B. Wells comes in. I know you all desperately need me for clicks, but I gather I've read far more Frederick Douglass than you, and he also wrote this about the Constitution. Or there were when he called the Constitution radically pro-slavery. Timothy Sanderful. I should probably screenshot this latest example of NHJ's intellectual dishonest before she deletes it, like she always does. But here's the fun part. She's quoting passages from the speeches Douglas later repudiated after voting, devoting time to studying the Constitution. Douglas explained in great detail afterward that he had been wrong to swallow Garrison's view about the Constitution being evil. After studying the subject himself, he realized he'd been in error, one might wish, and futilely, that she herself would study with care. F.D. was, of course, falsely accused of dishonesty for his change of mind. His white critics said it couldn't possibly be generally thought-out position on his part. It just had to be intellectual dishonest political tactic. Anyone who's read oh so much about Douglas and the Constitution would know this. Doubtless, it's news to NHJ. It's no different than a story told before of an albino black black guy I had in 1990 in freaking Korea. And he was white, but he had black features. He hated black people, he hated white people, and he was reading Malcolm X. Couldn't get this kid not to be a fucking turd burglar. He was always getting in trouble. So I grabbed the book he was reading from the library and I got ahead of him. And I ran after he came back from Mecca and he no longer said any means necessary kill Whitey. And when I told him that, he was clueless because he didn't read the whole book. He got to the parts where he just heard kill Whitey and he liked the idea of killing Whitey. And then he went, oh shit. How would you know? Because I read his goddamn book. Uneducated idiots. What if we blew it all up? Self-described educator proposes replacing capitalistic relics like grades, tests, and subjects. And I just can't. But I'm going to. Shane Safer 
eliminate D's and F's, if you have to have grades, go ABC incomplete so kids can make up any classes they struggle in. D feels like defeat and F signals failure. Get failure out of the classroom. What if we blew it all up? Grades, homework, report cards, tests, subject areas, sorting, and ranking. What when an anti-racist system built from the child up, not the policy room down, and around our most marginalized learners look like? Somebody replied, what do we blew up your mom? <laughs> wow, y'all trolls came out thick for this one. Fascinating. They're doing this in BC. It's watered down the education system. Completion is part of the human condition. If left to progressives, there will be no comp- competent human being left to take jobs that were once competent com- competed for. Competition is, this is her reply, Competition is not inherent to the human condition. It's a core value of capitalism and Western epistemology. I can never say that word. But constructed ways of operating and viewing the world, and with all due respect, the idea that grades and test scores lead to competent human beings is deeply fraught. Friends, the point is not assesses competency or to cultivate a generation of incompetent humans. The point is that our current assessment instruments are actually inadequate of assessing competence. Performance-based assessments with public defenses of learning, much better. And somebody nails it, Jen Moreau. Yes, the soft bigotry of low expectations. And that's what it comes back to. Soft bigotry. You people say they can't make it. And the end result is California. And here is my favorite intellectual on the subject, Heather McDonald. You should pay attention to that. Heather McDonald is a former resident of California and she joins us. Heather, thanks so much for coming on. What I'm so struck by is how the traditional measures of job performance, how you doing? Is it safe? Can I walk to the grocery store without worrying about being attacked? wife run the park without being raped? Are your forests on fire? Does electricity work? The basics are being completely ignored. How have the leaders of California pulled this off? They destroyed the state, physically destroyed it, and no one says anything. Well, California is the triumph of identity politics, Tucker, and it is the future of this country if the Harris-Biden agenda is not blocked. As you said, California used to be the most prosperous, opportunity-filled state in the country. Now it's among the poorest, thanks to illegal immigration. Its educational excellence was the envy of the country. Now its rock-bottom reading and math scores rival those of impoverished southern backwaters. And its cities were gems of beauty and livability. Now they're sites of squalor, anarchy, and crime. And the reason is the triumph of identity politics and the idea that one's alleged victimhood at the hands of a racist white male patriarchy entitles one to exemption from law, the rule of law, and norms of bourgeois behavior. And enough people in this state uh, are seduced and mesmerized and, and frankly lobotomized by the lies of identity politics and the idea that this is a racist country, which it is not, uh, that they're willing to put, a, put up with the destruction of prosperity, of excellence, of future entrepreneurship. The rich can can shelter themselves from the resulting breakdown of law and order. It is the middle class that is hurting, that is being screwed, and it is seeing their future be frittered away by what really is the biggest export from academics into the world at large. What's so infuriating 
not only are race politics immoral and destructive and divisive, what you get is bad management. I mean, one thing if they gave you these lectures about BLM and ran the place like Singapore, but they, they run it in the most dysfunctional possible way. Why, again, why does no one point out that if your power grid is failing, you are a bad leader? End of story. The only purpose of government is to apply the rule of law equally, without regards right. to race and gender. Identity, as you say, does not matter. The government should treat all people the same. It should not make exceptions. George Gasco in L.A. is carving out exemptions from the criminal law based on perceived victim status. This myth has to be fought, Tucker, as you say. We need to say that the disparities in this country are not driven by racism. They're not driven by sexism. They're driven by bad behavioral choices, the breakdown of the family, bad cultural influences. And those need to be taken on head on. Talking about racism and sexism is we're going to get ad nauseum from the Harris-Biden agenda is going to bring this country to its knees. This is a brain disease, and I will never accept it, and I hope that no other American will ever accept it. This is wrong. We should not accept it. And I really appreciate your clarity on this and so many other topics. Heather McDonald, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You fucking people just don't understand you're the reason people don't get out of the hood because you keep crutching people and if they needed a crutch they wouldn't be multi-millionaire record deal people and they wouldn't own professional sports the horror vice bemoans imagery that associates abortion with baby killing once again, sonograms. It's like they all get on together with some little fucking website and work out all the crazy shit that they come up with. And I've been on a big theme lately that I don't blame the politician. I don't blame the student. I blame the people that vote for the politician. And I blame for the parents for letting their kids get brainwashed. It's like my wife says all the time, if we live currently now with kids, we would homeschool. We would quit our jobs, if we had them, and we'd be raising fucking our children with homeschooling to get them away from that shit. Not because we're racist, not because we want to teach them the Aryan ways. We want them to know math, history, science, art, English, the important shit. This story is right down the... Whoever lets their kid read Teen Vogue, I want to punch him in the neck hole. December 21st, your no-nonsense 101 guide to masturbation for vagina owners. Now, if you go to this website, They got a piece of fruit that looks like a vagina. And you go through here and they type some masturbation, how to find your clitoris, your G-spot, how to masturbate with fingers, try out toys, take some time, play around, experiment with different positions, use lube, what's an orgasm? Masturbation's good for you. 
You're not weird if you prefer one kind of pleasure over another. It's your body. You have total agency. Now, I'm all for young women exploring their bodies. Because it is scientifically proven they, they can have a better sexual life with men. And I had a mother that once told me that, you know, she didn't really have her first orgasm until she was in her 30s. That's pretty fucking horrible. Why she told me that, I don't know. It left me at the complex for the rest of my fucking life to ensure that my partners did. Because if they didn't, I felt like I was a horrible lover. But that's a whole counseling session that we'll do on another day. But what we will talk about... Why does your kid need to read that? Why do you even buy Teen Vogue, a magazine that basically tells kids to abort babies? Don't talk to your folks. Don't talk to an adult. Go kill the kid. And then finally, Tiatiana McGrath. I love this because this is the left. This is what our politics are, our history It's all self-aggrandizing where they all say, I called it, because they cook the books on statistics and everything else to call it. Tim Pool, this thread is absolute proof the system is completely broken. Tatiana Magred, many people scoff at my progressive ideas and predictions, but eventually they always come true. So I thought I'd start compiling a list of every time I was ahead of the curb. Number one. On December 22nd, 2018, I called for biological sex to be removed from birth certificates. 17 December 2020, New England Journal calls for it. Number two, I suggested that young women should be encouraged to travel alone in rural Pakistan. 2019, Forbes agreed with me. Number three, on 19 September 2018, I criticized Julie Andrews, Mary Poppins for chimney soot blackface. And 2019, the New York Times concurred with me. Number four, on 7 March 2019, I published my book, Woke, in which I argued that skyscrapers are oppressive phallic symptoms. We read it on the show in 2020. Number five, I called for Oscars to prioritize diversity, and they did it. Number six, I demanded in 2019 an option to mute white males. Instagram concurred in 2020. Number seven, I urge parents to give the newborn babies numbers. Elon Musk concurred. Number eight, on 2 May 2020, I criticized the NHS for appropriating LGBTQ rainbow flag. Forbes did it. Number nine, on December 2018, I wrote an article to endorse fighting with relatives during the holiday. On November 9, 2019, the nation concurred. And it goes on and on. I'm not reading anymore because the simple point is... The only reason that all happened is not because you're smart. It was the right thing to do. It's what America needs. No, you fucking moon bat. You guys are goddamn bullies. You're all bullies. You bully people into do it. How the fuck did we get millions of dollars from Pakistan From Republicans, if it wasn't the fact that they'd get bullied by the media if they didn't. You're not fortune tellers. You're just bullies. Big time bullies. So, 
Let's play us a couple sound bites. Um, the first one is Nick Searcy. Like day 20 of his walk. Hello again, everyone. And welcome back to day 20 of my non-essential walk in Los Angeles, where I go randomly walking around because Eric Garcetti doesn't want me to, and I show you the deterioration of our society. Here we're walking by the huge AMC Theater in Burbank, California, where there are no tickets being sold because there are no movies in there. Because movie theaters, you could get sick and die if you go to a movie. Even if you sit six feet away from somebody with a mask on, we just can't risk that. You know, and there's a, look, there's a statue of Batman. That's a remnant of when they used to make movies here, and you could go to a theater and see them. Look, there's the yard house. Nice restaurant, nobody in it. It's kind of ghostly. They've got football games on, but nobody can sit and watch them. It's not allowed. It's not safe. And I want to show you one more thing. There's a comedy club up here on the corner. But you can't have a comedy show in there. Not in Los Angeles. I mean, you can do comedy in Florida. You can do comedy in Arizona. I did it with my friend Rodney Carrington. But you can't do any comedy here in Los Angeles because of the virus. Oh, my God. You know, all of you uh, actors out there that got so upset with me yesterday when I was walking through all the theaters that were closed down, and you were saying things to me like, why don't you just move then, old man? Who cares what you think, old man? What you little punks don't realize is that this isn't about me. I've already made mine. This is about preventing you from ever being able to do what I've done, which is make a living as an actor for the last 30 years. You're not going to be able to do that because you've destroyed your own business. You voted for the losers that are shutting everything down. And look, there's Flappers Comedy Club, but it's not funny anymore. The next one I'm not going to play. I'm just going to play it in the background. Now you're saying, Tony, you played that on the last soundbite. No, that's a dude who decided to take the scene where Santa comes in and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and is telling everybody they're not going to have a Christmas. Yeah, the claymation thing or the cartoonimation or whatever the fuck those things are. It is the funniest thing you'll ever see. Search for it. Then we have this, and I'm going to describe it as I play it. So I have this thing, call it a little quirk, if you will. I have hair in my armpits. In her armpit. I have it there for a few reasons. Yeah. One, lazy. Two, fuck the patriarchy. And Just for a second, she's got a fucking, uh, what was that? Kung Fu was the show. Racist as fuck, I'm sure. That kind of hairdo with the top knot, glasses. She looks like a wildebeest. Three, your response to them tells me everything I need to know about you. So I she thinks she's very special. She's got curly cues on her side, a shaved fucking head, and hair on the back of her head. It is the scariest thing I've ever seen, and it made me want to fucking go into a safe space. But I don't have one. 
So I just stood in fear. To our This is America, I know it's COVID-related, but listen to the, this woman who is bashed gays, uh, fucking white people, the way back. She's a fucking piece of shit. She gets a show, and then they got her twin over there now on MSDNC who do intersectionality every fucking weekend and night. Listen how many times she tries to say, or get the vice president-elect, to say Republicans should never get vaccines. Knowing that everything she's saying is a fucking lie. That they spread it. They told you not to wear a mask. It's all factually wrong. But it's what our media is. All the time now. Wrong. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, and This is America in 2019. But there's a lot of question, a lot of anxiety out there that people who stood with Donald Trump when he messaged against taking precautions, when he modeled bad behavior and they followed him right down that rabbit hole, pushing to the front of the line and getting the vaccine, you know, the Marco Rubio's of the world, the people who've enabled the bad behavior. How do you feel about some of these Republican politicians being at the front of the line for the vaccine? Honestly, Joy, I want that everyone gets it. Um, and we could talk about where they've been on the issue, but I, I, I hope and I believe that, that anybody who's in a position of leadership right now should be urging all Americans, again, regardless of their party affiliation, should be encouraging them that when it is their time that they get this vaccine. But you have a block of Americans mm-hmm. who, again, following the current president, have even in some cases violently resisted any measures to stop the spread. The basics, wearing a mask, distancing, they're just absolute refuseniks on it. How do you fight that kind of propaganda, that kind of, you know, it's it's hard to imagine that people would actually make a vaccine Mm -hmm. into a political issue, but people have. How do you fight that? Well, we have to model better behavior, Frank. Okay, let's have some fun here. This is from MRC. Happy Festivus 2020, time to air our grievance. Number one, enough with BLM. Ever since George Floyd protested early this summer, shows have been falling over each other trying to appease the BLM crowd. Week after week during the fall season, we've seen been getting shows insisting that BLM are mostly peaceful protesters fighting against systemic racism and evil racist cops. If that wasn't bad enough, we even have cop shows fall in the same trend. If you're going to push radical beliefs on us, the least you could do is not humiliate long-running cop shows like Allah and Order. Number two, stop demonizing ICE. This was old in 2019, although the pro-illegal immigration message was sidelined this fall by BLM. That didn't stop the first half of 2020 from slamming immigration enforcement. We still got the usual arguments of CW's Roswell, New Mexico, that border laws are arbitrary. From NBC's Superstore, the E-Verify is so unfair. And from Star's Vita, that Hispanic ICE agents are race traitors. But then there was Fox Deputy. 
and we stopped watching that. Speaking of terrible patterns, not only did 2020 double down on sexualizing children, we saw several transgender children as well. Now we have kids as young as six on shows like NBC's Councils of Dads declaring themselves have been born the wrong gender. Shows like The Babysitter's Club on Netflix even turn around to lecture doctors for daring to question a child's gender preference. And we won't even talk about, because they didn't, the Cartoon Network. With that in mind, number four, it makes sense that another grievance of 2020 includes a degrading and erasure of religion. Shows like The New Pope on HBO and Filthy Rich, The New Amsterdam, Raised by Wolves, F is for Family, all suck. Five, please, 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 no more election specials. Sure, 2021 will see fewer attempts to celebrities to lecture us about how to vote. But really, this trend should end here and now before the next presidential election cycle. No more cast reunions of the West Wing. No more wasting episodes of the Connors. No more Cal Pan. Who the fuck thought that guy was anybody we want to listen to? Finally, we get the one thing that could possibly end in 2020. He won the endless Trump jabs. We get it. Trump's evil. Trump's a bobo. Orange man bat. It's not like that hasn't been the message for the past four years. Come January 2021, we shouldn't have any problem from Hollywood anymore. But with scenes like this one from Blackish, it's hard to imagine any of them overcoming their TDS. Then we have feats of strength. This being said... Not every show bowed. Blue Bloods, we covered it. They had Whoopi. I didn't like it. Festivus Miracles. Although Trump is still butt of every unfunny joke, Democrats didn't completely escape Hollywood's wrath. In fact, more than once an obvious AOC stand-in showed up. uh, Amazon Prime's The Boys. Space Force had it. Chicago PD. A lot of them. So that's a good thing. I never got into this... uh, fucking festivus shit i guess it was a fine uh, was it seinfeld all right to some funny stuff let me see kirk cameron pisses off blue checks after leading christmas carols in a thousands oaks california abc 30 dozens of people most of them not wearing masks showed up for kirk cameron singing carols and man were people pissed off but i loved every second of it i thought it was fucking fantastic Mary Catherine Ham, the perfect gift for her husband. This is pretty funny. Mary Catherine Ham, trying to get my husband a Christmas present, a thread. My husband is very hard to shop for. He's quite particular and buys everything he wants for himself anyway. This is what my wife says all the time. But this year, he mentioned one thing one time, and it's perfect. All weather mats for the Jeep. Trying to get my husband a Christmas present. Oh, I'm sorry. I reread it. I'm texting the whole family like I'm pitching a multi-level marketing scheme. I'm offering you the opportunity to get in on the ground floor and sponsor a floor mat and finally get this man something he actually needs and wants. Let me take this off your Christmas plate. I have my friend O.K. Maher ordered the mats for me so it doesn't show up on the credit card. Oh, we are so clever. Surely the mats will arrive at my home in the nondescript box just like every other Christmas time order. Car dealership pulls up the house, knocks on the door, and hands my husband a clear plastic bag full of cargo liner and floor mats. <laughs> For those who do not know me, I'm very invested in surprises, and clearly I need better OPSEC. This was a stroke of bad luck. 
But I have another Christmas idea, and this one is epic. For those who don't know my story, I was married before for four years to my first husband, Jake, who passed away in 2015. We had a beautiful, sassy two-year-old, and I was pregnant with our second. That's how I started following her. Two years later, I met Steve, and about two years after that, we were married. On March 7th, this insane year, it was the last possible weekend we could get married before the world went crazy. One last great guilt-free party in paradise. My daughters were flower girls. Now, when one meets and marries a wonderful man who is an active parent to one's child, and a man can, and he dad with the best of them, there's a way to make that official. I'm not the paperwork person in our household by a long shot, but that just makes the surprise better. I called a lawyer to have an adoption petition drafted. We're obviously talked about this and agreed to it in theory, but just enacted on the legal part. I look, took a Zoom call with a lawyer under the guise of work call. Oh, I'm so clever. She informed me this is easy done, at least enough to present him something to sign by Christmas. My lord, I'm writing my own Hallmark movie. This is going to be beautiful. I emerged from my meeting, very excited to have this under the tree for him and run it into him in the hallway. Hey, babe, you going to the gym? Okay, see you when you get back. He goes off to get his workout in. While he's in the gym, a deposit for the lawyer hits my credit card. I had told them this was a Christmas present, but lawyers got to get paid. And they don't take Venmo. OPSEC fail. Unlike me, he's keenly aware of what hits credit cards, and he's annoyingly vigilant even at Christmas time. This is my wife. That's why we have separate credit cards. Only two of them that we buy stuff on so we can't see it. I know that now he sees the firm of such and such and so and so coming with the charge and think to himself, that seems odd. I should energetically investigate. So he Googles the name, and it's a divorce divorce lawyer. So now he's breathing fire at the gym, probably fitting every heavy, lifting every heavy, and looking very mean. He's thinking to himself, 2020 wasn't great, but it wasn't this bad. Is he this leftover from last month's big fight? He comes home after working off enough steam to talk to me. I'm in the guest room with my back to the door, wrapping presents. I feel the wind from the door as it swings open with authority. Why are you paying a divorce lawyer? I realized immediately when it happened, I dropped my wrapping dramatically and turned around slowly. Congratulations, babe. You have ruined your second Christmas present. Huh? Think about it for a second longer. Family law. It's family law. He takes a beat. He figures it out. Well, this is a expletive emotional roller coaster. Merry Christmas, everyone. May your surprises remain unruined. Or if they must be, let them be ruined in a very funny way. And I had to read that because that is 2020. Nothing I've ordered has showed up. In fact, I sent an email. Let me see if I can pull that up. My wife has found vinyl. All right, she always liked records, but... Well, I'm down here podcasting during the day. She paints rocks. She's a great artist. She sells rocks, but she won't do it enough. I keep telling her she'd make a business out of it because she's really good at it. And she started pulling out the old vinyl. We probably got about 200 records. You know, we picked them up at pawn shops. My sister, big sis in Colorado, lovingly sent me the ones I had from a kid. She got left with them in the house and left with them. So she sent me Ted Nugent and everything. I was listening to Ted Nugent. I listened to him for fucking ever. Well, about two years ago, I really got in the kick when I quit working. And I started buying... Random records off eBay. 
And Julie London was actually a singer before she became an actress and was on Emergency. And so my wife, after we watch Emergency every night before we go to bed and dog it, it's a good way to go to sleep because it's really boring. I got like four of her albums for like 10 bucks on a bid. And she starts listening to it. So she starts listening to all these old things. I'm going to take my voice down because she's now awake because it's uh, 6 a.m. So she's awake. So I decided to go get a bunch of vinyl for her. So I did all these bids because she likes Doris Day. Well, I end up winning one with four records. And then I bid on this 22 crooner pack that I win for $2.50. I'm not making that up. With shipping, it cost me 12 bucks. Well, I get that and I get the four. But then she really likes Doris Day Christmas song. So I bid on a Doris Day Christmas song and it takes me six bids till I win one. The 22 records, mind you, have come. It came from uh, Virginia. Got here in a week, normal. Well, the damn Christmas record gets shipped from Hamlin, Pennsylvania on December 10th. By the 20th, it just says it left Hamlin. Now, being that I believe this election was stolen, and being that the post office was part of it, and being that I actually played videos of the post office cheering the election, being cheered for rigging the election, I was fired up. So I decided to pen a letter about this. Because it was a Christmas gift. Now, part of it is the seller who sent it, because it was very low bid, media mail. And media mail does get sidetracked. Got it. But we are now two weeks. Pennsylvania is not that far away. And we clearly could get the fucking mail system working good for Democrat fucking votes. So I wrote this. Now. As you can guess, my replies were automated. Nobody's acknowledged it, but I sure felt good about myself. Want to inquire about this package, and I insert the number. Was shipped on 10 December, left Hamlin, Pennsylvania. Now it's completely off the grid. Have two other packages from the Pennsylvania, Virginia area, also off the grid, but this was a Christmas one ordered to arrive on December 16th. And during holiday season, two weeks prior to Christmas, thus a no-brainer for regular operations, it would show up. Now, not one of my packages I have gotten from election states, specifically the five swing states, with mass mail-in voting have arrived remotely on time. Since it's apparent the mail system works promptly, for elections in Pennsylvania, specifically ballots from certain districts for certain candidates and certain parties and the thousands of social media posts from USPS workers supporting one party and condemning the other candidates and voters. I have to ask, is service in the future now based on zip codes? Blue gets service, red red gets lost like ballots? I have to ask, since it's apparent the USPS is now political and supports a party, so service, I assume, will be for that party. 
also, and since I live in a red state zip code, I'm condemned by association so every package will end up late or lost. If it helps, I'm an independent, non-MAGA. I didn't support either candidates for they were garbage. So are both parties. I just lived here for cost of living and friendly people. Please advise if I need to reorder for next Christmas or since I'm not a wrong thinker, thinker, I can get service from the USPS again. That's my closing thing on Christmas. To me, the most disgusting thing that has happened, not only in the age of Trump did our media become part of the Democratic Party, we literally have organizations in the federal government that have become part of a political party. And when the U.S. mail service turns into bullshit, that, my friends, is bullshit. Shouldn't be happening. But everyone I've talked to post-election says they're having shipping problems because they blew their wad on getting the election for Biden. So... Not a happy way to end a day before Christmas podcast. The only skit that came out of the essential Saturday Night Live fucking fuckfest, because it was horrible, as usual, was this one about Christmas morning, and I gotta admit, it made me laugh. Mom, Dad, get up! Come on, you guys! Get up! Get up!
fun. I was up until four in the morning. What a great picture. Let's find it on the internet. Your mom does everything for your family. This year, get her more than one present. Moms like stuff, too. Who touched my piano? It was an accident. In my house, it was the opposite. It was dad, but I thought that was pretty funny. So this wraps up a bonus episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send comments to F-L-Y-O-V-E-R-P-O-L-I-T-I-K at Outlook.com or Flyover Politics with a K at Outlook.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed, and if you do, you'll see a beautiful image of the Bethlehem Star. My sister found one from a professional photographer that she knew, and it is literally epic. Epic. Our next show, we're going to shoot for Monday, 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 but I'll probably do it Sunday. Eh, probably the way it'll work out. The 28th. If for some reason it falls apart, have some family stuff, then we'll go with the 29th. So look for it the 28th or the 29th. I got my doctor's appointment. I'll go there. As I said on the last show, I'll definitely say today, enjoy Christmas. I love Christmas. It's magical. It is just the best time of the year. Drink you some Winter Jack. Put the cookies out for Santa. I hope Santa brings you everything you want. But the most important thing, I hope you're surrounded by friends and family and love tomorrow. We'll talk next week and start our one of three shows on the year in review before we close this pig out and go on to 2020. One, why do I keep saying that? 2021, as we can all think, 2020 sucked. So it's got to get better. As always, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Twitter account at FopTonyReed and send suggestions or comments to email address F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Remember, the flyover states are the backbone of this country. Never fear flying your flag and standing tall. Ignore the media hate. Ignore the fascist coastal states. Try as they might to bring America down. The patriots of this country will never bow down.